0: podcastjuice.net
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to The Prince Podcast here on Podcast Juice. My name is Michael Dean. Joining me today, my guest host is Mr. Big Sexy and Saxer. How are you?
2: Man, the heat has kicked in up here in Northern California with a vengeance. (laughs) But that's all right. Yes.
1: All right. You can send some of that heat my way because it's uh, cloudy today here in (laughs) in cloudy Seattle. But uh, you know, we're trying to turn. We're trying to get our summer thing together. But anyway, not about me. Uh, Today, show. Listen, as I try to do with this podcast, is really get people on here who can speak firsthand on situations. I really like when we can to get people who have touched. Many musical icons and people of the culture that mean a lot to us, not just Prince, but of course, this is a Prince show. And today's episode is going to be no exception. This time, we're going to get somebody who has really been a part of, and I like to say black music, particularly some of our icons, some of the people who have pushed things forward and who probably... Because of short attention spans aren't as heralded among some of the young folks as they should be. And so hopefully we can help help with that a little bit today. But further ado, with me running my mouth, let's give a warm welcome to Mr. Dave Hampton. Sir, how are you, Dave? Yes,
3: I'm all right. How are you guys doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Now, for those who don't know, Dave, this is some of the, I'm going to give you some of his resume. Right. I can't go all day because he's brother and work with a lot of people. But to put it in context, Dave is, was the technical director for Paisley Park. Right. He is also an audio engineer, a designer of studios and touring rigs. Now, I'm going to run down some of the names of the people that Dave has worked with so that you can see the pedigree of this man's work and who he's been with. So, first of all, Prince. Yes. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for. But, so we're going to put that aside. But Herbie Hancock. Now, for some of y'all, I'm going to say Herbie Hancock. Some of y'all going to be like, well, who was that, Mike? Oh, shit. Sure. And I'm going to tell you to go do your, do your Googles. Seriously. <laughs> do your Googles. But Herbie Hancock is a legend. Okay. Going all the way back, if right. I'm not mistaken, to Miles Davis and forward. Yep. You know, for, I'll date myself. My the probably the first Herbie Hancock record that I knew was Herbie Hancock. Not that I had heard was Rocket. You know that was a big hit uh, in the '80s. You know, hip hop and stuff. And I was purely into hip hop and stuff. So when that came out, that was all over the place, man. That video, uh, the imagery, the performance. I think he did a performance that was on the Grammys or American Music Awards or something. Yeah, uh, yep. stands yep. out in my mind. And then. As a young boy, didn't know the name, but that Headhunters album was synonymous in every black household, and yeah. and my dad my dad had them on the walls. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah <laughs> that yeah. imagery I remember that. So yeah, Herbie <laughs> Hancock. Y'all go do your Googles. Get up on that uh, legend. Um, also, just a few other names I see. Um, uh- I'll give you some of the young boys so you can y'all can feel that. Justin Timberlake. Uh Babyface. One of my guys that I'm I ride for, Rafael Sadiq, right? That's my guy. Uh Rico Wade. And, and y'all I'm talking about the Dungeon family, Outcast, you know, from Atlanta, ATL, Lady Gaga, uh I just want to throw these names out here, man, because it's important that we do that. We know this. Uh, Bill Weathers. Huh? Yeah. Bill Weathers, man. Uh, The Miles Davis estate. That's all you got to say about that. Right. George Duke. Flight time. Chicago. Maxwell. (sighs) And the list just goes on. There's one on here. Uh, y- y- you mentioned that there's there's some, there's some initials on here, but I have to ask <laughs> you. Th- it says M J. Now there ain't too many of the MJs that I know of. You can Michael Jordan, which uh, you, you doing sound for Michael Jordan? No, or no, Michael. No,
3: that's MJ. Yeah, that's Michael Jackson. Jackson. Yep.
1: Come on, man, the king oh. of pop. That it's over. Yeah. The show's over. Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. I'm a Michael listen, I do the Prince podcast. I was a Michael Jackson <laughs> fan like none other. And I had the Jerry curl, okay? Oh my God. I had the penny <laughs> lo- <laughs> yeah. The penny loafers. With the penny in the yeah. loafer. The the the, 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 the uh, Mickey Mouse sweaters. Okay? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I was voted biggest Michael fan in middle school i am not a f- I had shit. to beat it, Jack. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had to beat it, Jack. I thought I was a shit. I was a shit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> was, was, was it in leather or pleather? pleather. <laughs> <laughs> leather. Pleather. <laughs> That's it. Plastic and there or leather.
1: There you That's go. Right. And, and wow. war with pride. War. You know, it's so funny. I'm
3: deviating, yeah, but it's... Shine, shine.
1: Shino vinyl. Hey, <laughs> hey, man! I begged my mama to get that back. <laughs> and it's it so funny. Life. The only cat in my school who had the real leather uh, beaded jacket, and some of y'all will know this guy because he's in the reality TV world is uh, Doug Christie. Oh, he played for the Lakers. Really? Wow, okay. Yeah, Damn. we went to high school. Together, and Doug was my man, but he's the I, one. Who, wow. He's, he's the one who had the actual. Leather jacket. And, and he already had the, the real curly hair. You know, he had that good hair. So he, he was already, you know, flossing. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Doug. Me and Doug went to go see uh, Purple Rain opening night together with the, with the wife. But anyway, wow. I digress. That's cool. Um, so <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> this is about Dave Hampton. Uh, so, again, Dave, welcome, man. And I really appreciate you coming Thanks. on to the show. And uh, no shout out to Scotty uh, cause Scotty you know, sort of got us connected and shout out to him. So man, yep. where do we begin? I'm going to start with some of the basic stuff for our listeners and a lot of our Prince fans. Uh, can you at least just set us up a little bit and walk us into how you got connected to Prince and how you started that relationship?
3: Um, yeah, I, um, when I was working with Herbie, uh um, I was an independent so it allowed me to still do other work. So that's what I was able to do um I sent you guys a timeline. I was able to do Outcasts and some of these other things at the same time. Uh one of the things that happened is we worked with a lot of uh older musicians, uh in particular one named Wawa Watson. And uh, Wawa's yeah. very famous out here in studio studio terms on records and stuff like that. And he was working on a project with Leon Ware for C B S and and um he came to Daryl Diaz and myself at Herbie's and Daryl was also somebody who worked there, who, who I worked very closely with. And he was music director for Herbie at that time. And, um, he said, Hey man, I, I'm working on on this thing at CBS. Um, can we curse on this show? Of <laughs> course <laughs> you nigga. Yes. You, you, you would have to, you, <laughs> would have to you would have to know who Wawa is to understand him, but he basically, he basically just said, I'm a, I'm a, you know, have somebody call you MF and, 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 and uh, they're going to call you to work on this boy we are working on in uh, New York. And it's a cool project and, uh, you know, it's going to be something. So basically, um, Le- Leon Ware, for those who don't know it, you guys should look it up. We just lost him recently. And uh, uh, he is responsible for a lot of the Marvin Gaye stuff that you heard from Motowns. Wawa was part of the West Coast. Uh, Experience as far as studio musicians for Motown when they came to the West Coast. Okay, but and you, you uh, played with Maxwell. You know too, they, right? they, yeah, played with Maxwell. That that was that was the essence of how this came to be. They mm-hmm. were writing songs with him and working on the whole first album, Urban Hang Suite. So when they called Daryl and myself, it was to go to New York to New York and spend time with him in the writing phases of this project. And the, and the second project as well, and uh, design a studio for his loft. Mm. So I designed the studio here in L.A. We shipped, we loaded everything up, tested it, shifted it out there, installed it in the loft, and then uh, proceeded to you know, work for the next couple of weeks on the record. Then when uh, Mike Pila and Stuart Matheman came in town, those guys are closely associated with Sade, um, we worked with them at the Hit Factory in uh, getting the record, you know, completed. Wow. So that, that's that's the sound that you hear. What you hear is an amalgamation. If I were to, as as I experienced it, because I, I toured with them, and that's where I met Scotty. Okay. But as I experienced the project working on it, and I saw it and heard it unfolding, I'm going like, okay, this guy is a culmination of Jackie Wilson, of... Of, of uh, you know uh, Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. of all these deliveries that had come before of black male soul singers, right. even even including bits of Teddy Pendergrass and bits of some of these others. If you look at the effect and how and how the concerts were directed at women, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, you know, I, I I'm a student in a different way in that I kind of study all the people that I work with, musicians, singers, whoever, that's how I kind of learn uh, where the creative moment is for them. So I have to be able to see it in my role. Now, my role can encompass anything from, you know, being an engineer to being a computer aided vocal guy to being the, you know, when I was out with Maxwell, that's what we did is we ran the, because when we worked on albums, Maxwell sang a lot of his own vocals Mm -hmm we couldn't very well have him singing lead lines and running back to the backup mics and singing backup. So he had to basically employ what's called backing tracks on some of the vocals to work with the background vocals and bring it right up. So it has the sound of the record, but, but, um, you know, it it was stuff like that. So I met Scotty on that. I met Michael Bland. Everybody I met there had this big Prince background and it was just a a fantastic group of people. We really had, a lot of success working together. It really was and it was really family setting. Magoo, everybody. It was it was just really cool. When we parted ways after it was over, everybody usually says, Hey, you know, uh I'd love to work with you. Uh him and Michael Bland in particular kept would always say, Oh man, you'd work really good with Prince man. You'd work really good with Prince. And so for me, you gotta understand I'm I'm a I'm a guy who's in his forties, you know, single dad, raising two kids. I, I'm not I'm comfortable in my jazz experience. I'm, you know, I'm about 11, 10, 11 years with Herbie Hancock Wow! Okay. and then doing these other things as well. So I'm, you know, Marcus. And so I'm heavily steeped in that community and that lane, and I wasn't really looking for a performance experience. I had heard a lot of negative things from everybody and all the strange stories, but this was a real unique experience working with Maxwell because I was working with all these guys who were really cool and good at what they did. And they didn't have any bad stories, right? Mm, okay. So I was like, okay, yeah, cool, you can call me one day, you know. So, lo and behold, you know, some two years, three years later, I get a call, New Year's Eve from Scotty going, hey man, you're gonna get a call in a, in a little bit, and it's gonna be Prince. And, uh, you know, I gave me a number, blah, 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 you know, so I said, okay, Scotty, you know, that's cool. He said, okay, I'll call you back, and I was like, okay. I haven't talked to you in this long, and, and all of a sudden I'm gonna get a call. So then the phone rang and, you know, said, yes, yeah, Dave there. And I said, yeah, this is Dave. And he said, well, I'm would to cost you to come talk to me about doing some work here at the studios You know, so I'm like, okay, this is Scotty bullshit. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, okay, it'll take this much. And, you know, I need a business class ticket. And, you know, I said, okay, somebody will be in touch with you. You know, I said, okay, Scotty you know, and then hung up the phone. You know, and then Scotty calls back. Hey, did, did you talk to him? Did you talk to him? I said, I talked to you. You know, he said, that wasn't me, man. <laughs> so, so, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so it was it was very surrealistic, you know, but it really was, Prince, and, and I ended up on a plane the next day. I, I made one phone call after I hung up from Scotty, and it was to Herbie, because we were getting ready to start Possibilities. And I said, you know, Herbie, I got the weirdest call. I said, uh, Prince wants me to come to Minnesota just to talk to him, you know. Hmm. So, I said, you know, you think I should go? He said, man, you better go, I would. I heard you handcuffing. Yeah. So, uh, no, and I value that man because you know, and the reason why I was calling him is because we were going to get ready to start possibilities. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to hold up the thing. No, not that it would hold up for me because they could do anything with or without me. That's one of the things I always do is, is I never leave myself in a place where I'm just the guy with all the secrets. You know. Mm, okay. um, But you know, we we that's where I met everybody, and that's how I came to to, to meet Prince and Scotty gave him my number and I got on the plane, flew out to talk with him. It was just he and I, and, and, uh, you know, Scotty, I think a couple other people were there, but the studio was pretty much vacant except for uh, the one room he was working in, which was studio B with the custom API. And, uh, he was just explaining to me that, um, he wanted to, to repit the studio get it working so I was like, okay, well, are you having problems? What's going on? And, you know, what, what, what's happening? So we went to Studio B, and he started to show me where there were some channels out on the 24 track and some other stuff. And as he pressed the button, the console said, poof, and a little thing of smoke happened. I said, oh, oh, the, you know, the something just blew back here. Wow. You know? And <laughs> no, so I said, well, why don't you turn it off? So, you know, me thinking inside my head, I I didn't bring any tools because I just came to talk. You know, I'm like, wow, at first I'm just coming to talk, you know. But now I've got to now show him or I've got to either say, well, listen, I didn't bring my tools, so I can't really work on this. You know, you know, you got two choices at that point. If you're known to be somebody who can fix things and get it going but you don't have your tools, the danger is that you might try and fix it, and you can't fix it, you make it work. Um, and then the other thing is, if you don't try at all, then you wouldn't shit anyone. Anyway, right, right, right. So I just said, well, listen, do you have a tech shop? You have this, you have this. So Paisley had basically had gone down to a point where none of the rooms were functioning. There were only two studios. So as things would break, they would shove the equipment into the shop. Well, I couldn't get into the shop to find out if they had tools until I rolled all the broken equipment out of the shop. So I think uh, Rick and somebody else helped me roll the equipment out. I found a meter and I found some other stuff. And I got in there and started going into the console and was able to fire it up and was able to to get the conversation going. But, you know, when when things started going wrong and, and he started seeing that happen as far as just he couldn't even show me what was messed up? He was, you know, he was visually. He's just, you know, see, that's what I'm talking about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing works, you know, and 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 various and other things that he thought about the, the the condition of the the facility. So I just listen, as as a large part of my job entails, listening to what the client, you know, or prospective client in this case wants, and trying to affect change. So, but because I was able to. Start the console. That kept the conversation going about okay. Well, when you get near and do this, you know, because you know the console catching fire wasn't something that was planned. That was something that just happened. Wow. Let, let you me know, ask. And let, then at the point where I chose, yeah, go ahead.
1: I wasn't going to say I do not want to cut you off, but I just wanted to ask you, like your initial meeting with him. You know, sometimes you hear these stories of like you know don't don't be looking him in the eye or. You know,
3: that was all that kind I of heard. stuff. Was
1: that any that kind of funny stuff? It wasn't
3: stuff? true. You know, no, no, he was very respectful, man. You know, you got to understand at this point, I'm four, three, four years old, so I, I'm not taking any shit. And I've worked with a lot of people, and the first sign of shit, I would have been gone because I'm my, my tolerance level for it at that age of my life is not that, you know, I don't, I'm not good at that. <laughs> So I can, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just being honest, you know, right. it, it, I, I do my career to sustain my family, mm. you know, um, so it's a different thing for me at a certain point. I don't have time for antics, you know, and those things and those descriptions are all I'd heard, but I was trying to do what Herbie said and go check it out and just experience the situation. You know, you can't, you can't prejudge anything. mm mm-hmm. Or you're just as guilty as the people that we all experience every day when we complain about people prejudging us. So I had to just drop all that and say, let me see who this cat is and let me let me see what this is all about. He obviously got to me. I don't, I don't hand out cards. Mm. You know, my entire career as an independent, uh, I started before cell phones and before the Internet. Wow. So I never used his cards. It was always word of mouth. So by the time he got my word of mouth from Scotty, he was supposed to get my number. You know, that's that's kind of the way that that old business mindset works. You know, that that's an early form of social capital is word of mouth. Right. You right. Know, we call it social capital now when, you know, billions of people on the Internet ho- know who your ass is. But the real thing is if they know you can do with what it is that you're that you have to offer the world, you know. But um, anyway, it was very, you know, we we met each other. He came out of the darkness. It was kind of like a cartoon. He was dressed all in black, black leather gloves, and, you know, dressed up because he didn't have no dress down clothes. Uh, And he, everything was dark, though, and he started to walk me from the door I came in to through the darkness to this little light at the end of the thing, which was the entrance to the studio. And I was like, okay, hold on, man. My eyes got to adjust, you know. And I was just like, man, inside of yourself. You just go, man, people are going to believe this, man. You know, he came out, shook my hand, you know, he told me Mr. Hampton. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, it was, it was very easy going, very easy going. And I just listened and for a long time, you know, I just listened and, and took notes and a- asked questions and, you know, um, just, just try to go with the flow, you know, with mm. something like that, where it's just, You and him, and he understands everything. He understands the drama around who he is. But he also understands that at this point, he's meeting me, somebody who's a service professional. So there's a certain part of that where he's going to do the one, two levels of drama that are associated with that. But he has to figure out if I've got the goods that will work for him. Just like I need to figure out if this is going to be a good marriage for us, yeah, right. two two older brothers in in the stages of the life we're in, you know, and uh, you know, so I think it was a great time for the meet. Now I don't I don't say that to say that anything that people would have said earlier on about oh he treated me like this he he did this I wasn't there I don't know that the guy I met was cool the guy I met I had a good situation with and and we had a good way to communicate and uh, a great understanding of what the greater goal was, you know. So right. oh, I, I don't know those, I don't know those things. Could he be interesting and difficult? And in some people's eyes, I would imagine so. Were there things that I encountered with him that I did with, didn't with with other clients? Yeah, probably, probably. But you know what? It's his priority. And if, if it's his house and he's saying, watch my house and, and straighten my house and do this in my house, I'm in charge of that responsibility, so I'm not going to take it lightly. So I don't I don't put anything out of my my reach. If he asks me to do something, he says, "Hey man, I got a you know a pink elephant coming in on Tuesday. Um, I'm out at the gate measuring to make sure it's wide enough to get the truck in." <laughs> Everybody else is going, "Man, really? What kind of pink elephant?" They asking each other shit, and they're trying to talk about it and trying to. See if they can call a pink elephant expert. I'm like, man, you better, you got to deal with what it is. You got to deal with what it
1: is. <laughs> what was the first project uh, that you did or service that you did? Was it to get that board going or to do a new studio? What was sort of the major big project that you worked on with them? The first one.
3: Ah, uh, first and foremost was to assess uh, both control rooms and make sure they could work, and then and then find out what the problems were in each one. In Studio A, there was a unique buzz and hum on the left-hand side that that probably if they haven't maintenance it is still there um and there's also uh, the way that the subwoofers have been added to the studio some years before as as sub harmonic qualities in music change um but these are traditional what we'll call glenn phoenix control rooms which is uh glenn phoenix is a designer here in los angeles who did the Westlake audio control rooms and had Westlake audio speakers. Um, you could typically tell his design by the, by the way the room was shaped. And so the history I knew of the facility, that that at least one of the rooms was a true Glenn Phoenix room. Hmm. Um, somebody had been in there years before, years after, and they had added dual subwoofers at the, at the front of the studio on each side but they did not put them in the wall. They just put boxes on the floor and and had wires going up. So you basically had subs sitting there
0: Mm.
3: in a room that was designed in the era where there were no subs with care. You know, so you're trying to give, you're trying to force these characteristics on a room that wasn't really adjusted to to deal with that intense sub harmonic quality. And you got to remember the console, especially in studio B that the one that caught fire, you, you've got these sub cabinets, no less than two, three feet from the back of the console, which had a, a just a a grate over it. So you've got vintage electronics in card cages being blasted with sound waves, subharmonic levels. So you know there's a lot of uh, card rattling going on for a vintage console like an API. So there was some things there that just they 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 were like the one one and one makes two of of. Potential interference that you had to deal with. So a lot of it was that. Um, and some of it was just uh, uh, maintenance issues. You know? okay. Part of having a facility back in the day when Paisley was running was that you needed to have a maintenance staff. You needed to have all these things. And when the career was happening and the record business was a different model,
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, this superstar model that was employed during that time could afford a staff of close to 200 people. I got you. Right. Right. Uh, so, it, you know, we get into, again, something I know that, that you talked about with Scotty, which is the, the economics of the industry. Our industry has changed and, and the economics of our industry has changed so that it has forced people to, if you have a mega situation, you have to get it under mega control so that it does not take a mega amount of people to operate. Because even in your state of being at home and not working, you generate money going out the door in salaries. Right, you know, mm-hmm. and so you have to understand the the long term effects of having something large is that you must maintain it. You know, you had a big boat; you had to scrub the barnacles off the boat. You could; it'll look pretty out of the water if you keep painting it. But if barnacles are on the bottom, they're on the bottom. You know, and you that's don't
0: a, see
1: it. Such but a but large facility, too, that you know, you, very uh, large facility. yeah. Yeah. Now now was he yeah. uh, were they still doing I don't know what year this was but were they still recording analog like 2-inch tape and stuff or had it sort of went digital?
3: Well, the the tape machines were there and it was down to one tape machine that had about 16 channels working. Altogether they had about 4 or 5 24 tracks and we had uh uh a uh, man about eight 2 tracks or whatever. We there were a lot of machines there. Good good machines but they just needed to be maintenance and service. And uh, so that was, that was again, part of the process. They, he always preferred analog, but um, at that time there was an engineer who was there who would brought pro tools in, but um, the pro tools that was being used. And at that time it was an early mix plus system, but um, you know, he was, it was basically going as fast as the knowledge of the pro tools guy who was there. And, and, it's, mm. and according to the schedule of the Pro Tools guy who's there. And if you're going to introduce something like Pro Tools in a format like that, in a place like that, the one thing you can't ever do is have the artist be a slave to the schedule of the operator. It's just not, that's not conducive. And you can't have the artist be a slave to the knowledge level of the operator. And that's not taking anything away from him, but it's just as an observation, I was looking at, well, how did we integrate Pro Tools into people's lives in L.A.? And I, not that I'm for it or against it, because I I truly believe that, you know, when we ushered the 24 track out of the room, we did so a little bit too quickly, you know, out here in L.A. I think it was a convenience and the ability to have um, this thing where you had non-destructive stuff available right, and you right. could keep moving on unlimited tracks. Unlimited tracks eliminated decision making at a certain level, so that the hit characteristics of a recording got further strained out in some of the ability to keep making decisions.
1: Okay, right. right. No, I, I know exactly what to, you I'm mean. I'm trying to
3: put it in a way. No, I know. Yeah, paralysis through analysis is what Quincy calls it. Right. You
1: almost giving them too and much too much stuff to to. to uh, think about it. And, oh let me do this or let me or, no just focus on right makes a right, song right
3: right when you, yeah when you had 24 tracks too, let's go back to even when you had 16 tracks um you had 16 tracks to get your idea across and if you could afford more cool, cool. and then one day 24 came one day we could lock two 24s together so mm-hmm. you know we had all the hardware there we had we had links so we could link two 24s and have 48 but the links weren't working, so we had to get the linkses working. So there was a whole a whole litany of things that we had to do in order to get the full strength of the facility back together. And that wasn't a problem. Um and a lot of it was just relationships. I had a real good relationship with uh a guy named Phil Wagner who Phil uh he's he's uh was an executive at SSL. He's the one who designed the, the uh the console they inevitably purchase and, and Put in Studio A. And he was a big part uh, of me understanding the history because he also put me in contact with Sal Greco. Sal Greco was one of the early technicians there, very famous cat, very smart cat who has his fingerprints on a lot of, of famous music situations that were building back in the day. And Phil is somebody who's interesting because Phil has literally put SSLs across this country. He and another guy named Don Works in New York. They put SSL consoles all over this country. And so they've affected music as well. But that ability to delve into the history of the facility gave me answers. (coughs) Excuse me. It gave me answers that I needed on a technical side so that I could further do like CSI because a lot of what I had to discover, I had to discover not. Through people who were in Minnesota because there were there had been nobody really consistently there as staff for several years you know he had been working in other facilities in other cities you know mm-hmm. so it was it was a different situation so it was you know but it was cool I was still learning but the first things I did was just assess the studios a and B and then we got to, to, to looking at the other areas of the facility because it was two, two, two tasks at hand. Number one, repair what's broken. Number two, uh, update what needs updating. Number three, if we need to to purchase some new stuff, purchase some new stuff. And number four, get ready for the future. What, what's coming around the corner? Okay. Now, so, so all these oh, mindsets had to to go into it. All these all these things were part of the task, and and that that's you know that's a big task. And not and not to you know. I couldn't do it. I mean, it was it was it was something that was uh, it was needed, in, and I think it was meant to be. You know?
1: Now, was there any part in some of the work you did where you were you know was asked you just, hey go into the vault, and because that's a lot of big questions always about asked, <laughs> you know assessing the vault and the in the you know, how is the tape or is this stuff being transferred or, or was is it being cataloged properly? Well,
3: he would bring things. He, yeah, he was bring, he was bringing things out of the vault for us to do as we got up and running he was bringing things out of the vault that he had an idea or said, okay, there's something here. I want to use this off of this song. I want to use this off of this song. So he would bring things up and as he would bring them up, if we had difficulty, and again, because of my experience in Los Angeles with, with Irby's vault and in the conditions that we keep things under there, uh, you know, I have a little bit more experience than probably most, at the whole procedure of dealing with materials that have possibly have damage over time, just to through, through acclimatization and other things that might've occurred, water damage, molds, all those things. Um, I could recognize that these tapes had, might potentially have problems. I said, okay, we need to to look at this and we need to develop a protocol because in just trying to put something up, because remember, this is his music, so he's pulling it. He's just said, hey, pull this up, there's something on here. Mm -hmm. He doesn't understand or have time to stop and acknowledge uh, mold. Uh, This tape is shedding. What is shedding? What is this? What is this? Mm -hmm. You know, all he knows is there was something on the tape that he wanted off, and, and the tape's not working. Okay, not working means I call, I call the guys who's supposed to make it work, right? <laughs> so at that point, you know, we have to enter into this conversation. And we had the conversation several times regarding the condition of the taste he pulls out and why they're shedding and why they're doing this. And then the the plan that we need to implement if we need to rely on Using this, because every time we go to use it, what happens is if he brings it up as a resource because he remembers there's something on there and we can't use it as a resource. There goes his creative idea. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it really gets to be a, a thing where and, and technical stuff is one of the things that it's not that he didn't respect because he, he more than showed his respect by spelling my name right on my check and making sure my money is good. (laughs) Say that. So I I just think that over the years, sometimes there have been scenarios where technical information has been used to keep artists from understanding or proceeding in the direction they want to go. It should never stop a session. It should never stop creativity. Technical problems do exist, but the technician does not run the room. Mm. the artist in the in the song, song runs the room. So everybody in there has to be about serving the song. And so part of it was having that, that difficult conversation with him that, Hey, we need to do this. And you know, we had, we had it several times because we had it happen several times. We had him pull things down and we also had him pull things down and it would, it would be fun, you know, but also having stepped in the vault and viewed the vault and dealt with the vault, you know, the vault is a unique place. It's a very unique place, you know. Yes, it is a vault. Yes, it has a door that looks like a bank vault. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, other than that, it is a place where stuff is kept. That that uh, if I were to have my choice, would probably have some more things in it that would help them be taken care of better. But upon that conversation he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that. You know. So you're forced to you're forced to just say, okay, I'm I'm bound by what I understand because you want the best of me to give you my best synopsis of what's going on. Now that I, now that I've done that, how do we proceed from here? And at that point it was whenever he pulled it out. I did everything I could to make sure that the tapes would at least play back or give us something. And if they wouldn't, then that I was the one who just gave the word, well, don't proceed because I don't want to destroy it.
1: You know? let, let me ask you it's this. It's a very – yeah. Let me you, so so uh, well, I, I take it that you're a very technical person. You understand the technical aspects yeah. of things, and, and it's either it works this way, or it doesn't work that way. And I look at Prince as a creative type, where it's not necessarily so concerned about how a to, how a you know one plus one equals this. I, I want it to be three. You know, uh, mm-hmm. does he ever? How, how does he deal with situations where you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I see what you want to do, but not to say it's, it's well, not saying it's impossible, but yeah. it just wouldn't work this way. How does he receive those sort of things?
3: I mean, with me, he was you know we had a we had a very that was, I guess, our our little area where we would try and and uh, you know it would definitely rub him the wrong way if I said no on something because it 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 was not going to happen like that or it was going to cause damage, right? Because um, no one ever says no to the king, you know. And uh, I I just was very I understood the other side of it of potentially what you could harm if you if you force something you know, okay, well, that's not going to work. Let's, wh- what, is, what are some of the other things you want to get to? So I was I always trying to give myself some options by asking him a couple of questions. We we would come to some serious stuff in LA because uh, after we left Minnesota, he, he came to LA and had several houses and I would always put a studio in the house and I would always try and whatever he needed, you know, because I'm in LA and he's in LA. I was like right there. Um, we were going through a period where Right before he went into Third Eye Girl, where he wanted to have a Hendrix type sound, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so we're in a pool house. We're in a converted pool house in a big mansion in an in a, uh, exclusive to part of L.A. You know, well, Los Angeles is 120 volts coming out the wall, you know. And Hendrix at the time they recorded some of the stuff that was done over in England where there's 240 volts. Right. Okay. So the only thing I could do is step up the transformer if he wanted to operate at 240 volts. So I, I rented step up transformers and, and created the best English experience I could for what was going on when those records were done. And then to go one step further, because he kept referencing, yeah, I want, you know, I like the power that Hendrix had when he did this. I like this. I like, you know, we would actually placed stuff and I would, I'm like, okay. Okay. So I called Eddie Kramer. Eddie Kramer is Jimi Hendrix's engineer.
0: So right.
3: I said, Eddie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I went, I'm always going to go for the information. You know, if I can get to the information, I'll, I'll get the information because there's no, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Look, I'm with somebody who's trying to do, something iconic from somebody who's no longer here who did something iconic. I'm going to talk to the other guy who was in the room. Right? right. And I'm going to get a framework of answers that's going to give me a way to understand this better, you know, and, 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 uh, Eddie was able to help, you know, just give me some answers that were cool and, and gave me some strategies I can employ, you know? So I, I think this is the part where, you know, people have to understand that, 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 uh, he he looked to everywhere for ideas, even looked back into things. Because at that time, you know, he didn't have to go there and say, hmm, I want to come with this power from Hendrix. I want to do this. And if you notice his whole, you know, guitar playing thing changed, his whole mm-hmm. solo thing changed, you know? Mm-hmm. But these are all things that influenced him. Why? I don't know. It's just part of the creative mind. But it's the direction he wanted to go and I had to support it. You know, it, it, again, a lot of times, it's you know, and the relationship with each artist I work with is different. So, I had a more uh, free, comfortable relationship with Herbie because of the years spent together, and the years spent not only in the studio but traveling and and just getting a real education in the world, not just music. And so, by the time I got to Prince, I had a little bit of knowledge about about the world and I needed to really get an in-depth knowledge about individuals. Right. And he gave me a really good, uh, learning ground for what I had already experienced to just really learn this individual to where I knew, okay, okay cool. There's a way that I have to extract information from him in order for him to get the best out of me, you know, in decision-making. Cause that was my thing. I, I, I'm like, cool. I'll make all these decisions for you. You know, early on when I went when I went to work there, and I, I don't mean to stray, but it's important that I say this. Early on when I went to work there as the technical director of the facility, he kept wanting me to sign this, this paper, you know, and to sign this paper. And what the paper was, it gave me the power to purchase anything and the power to send his money. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I said, I don't need to do that. I said what I'm going to do is I'm going to take full responsibility for any decision I make on your behalf. And I'll take, I'll fall when it, when it's wrong. I want to, I'll take full responsibility. But as far as needing to have the power to, to spend your money and do that, I'm not going to do that because I had seen, um, a pattern in his life of that kind of abuse of power, you know, Hmm. When I studied, what I studied to to say, yeah, I'll come down here and do this. I'm like, okay. Every time you did this, it, there's somebody else in charge. And then when you turn your back, yes, you could do your music. But when you turn back around, there was this big bill. So I don't want to be. I don't want my my shot to do my best to be corrupted by the chance for anybody to say that's the guy that messed up. Not only that, that's the guy that messed up. But that's the you-know-what guy that messed up. Stop. <laughs> because I only get one shot. Right. There's only one me that does what I do. And so I realized that early on. And I've seen these games that people play with money. And they do. They, they offer money in front of you to see if that, even when they pay you late and things like that, those are all tactics that people use to see how bad you need the money and how long you'll stay and, uh, you know, the first thing I tell people all the time now is just make sure you got enough to pay for your return ticket.
1: Interesting. Now, I got to right? ask you, I got to ask you, yeah. you just open the door to something. And and uh, yeah. I want to reference Michael Jackson for a second here, because, in my mm-hmm. opinion, there was a great book and then they just made it a movie on Lifetime where it was the brothers who was uh, his bodyguards. And mm-hmm. you're really in the book, it really outlines all of the politics in Within Michael's really close circle of, you know, handlers and managers and they in infighting right. and Mike not wanting to be a part of this and people not getting paid. And so you mentioned something about Prince wanted to have you sign this document, allowing you to have power to spend money and things of that nature. And, and, and to me, I'm sounding like you. What, what were the politics, if you can't talk about it? Was there politics within Prince's circle, like certain people like jockeying for position, or you know, I have Prince's ear? I, again, I'm just speculating, but I'm asking you: was was there any of that sort of stuff? I think man?
3: I think there's always going to be people who think they have his ear. I think the problem is that that they were they, having only been around him, and not I have been around every type of entertainment situation you can imagine. So I've been a part of this. And I I understand the pressure when an artist calls me and I come into a camp, I literally parachute in by myself. Mm. So I understand automatically I upset the apple cart because number one, he got to me and none of them knew it. I see. By the time they by the time they realize, okay, let's see who he is. What is he all about? Is he about this? Is he about that? By the time they finish doing their Thing of trying to grade you and figure out who you are and what your intent is, they don't realize they've they've lost ground in trying to be who they are in the situation, Mm. whoever they are. If you're his number two guy, be his number two guy and be the best number two guy you can. All I am, and I used to tell everybody this, they go, oh, you're the man. No, I'm just the guy holding his keys till he gets home. Mm. That's who I am. I'm the guy who holds his keys till he gets home and then I throw him his keys. Because if you take on any more than that, it's too much. It, it ain't about you. It's never about you, man. It ain't never about you. Look, the first time uh, an artist like a Herbie or a Prince says, come into my world, do this for me, do this, and work right here, do this. For me, who as who I am, Dave Hampton, uh, a kid from South Central who ends up doing this kind of work. They are investing in me by giving me access to their facility and letting me do my best. Because when I met this business head on and I knocked on the door and said, Hey, I'd like to get a job doing this. You know what the door, the business did close the fucking door.
1: And, and why is I that? Why did they, school, why would they close new the electronics?
3: Door? Because they didn't like the delivery system of, of a technical person who was a coach. That's just, that's just how the business was. They weren't used to seeing it. They weren't used to seeing it. There were some out here who were doing 10, 15, and 20 jobs, and, and they were more than qualified to do it, but it was just it was just not like that. So people need to understand that. Am I angry about it? No, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm thankful that, that uh, it gave me the ability, my parents gave me the ability to see this early on, and I'm thankful that I had the ability to adapt so that I could keep going because it it's really not about me. It's about the people coming after me who say I want a career in this and I want to do this. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. But you've got, you got to extract a lot of things in you that that will distract you from your goals. My goal inevitably, man, I had a real simple goal, dude, When when I, when I got out of school. And and started on my way. My goal was to get my name on a record so that my mom would stop saying, "Get a good job, a good benefit." <laughs> right. That was my goal: get my name on the record so that she'll be quiet. I had no idea it was going to turn into this. And all I ever wanted to do was just work consistently. My, my one prayer every day was, "Lord, make the phone ring. Make the phone ring." You know. Mm-hmm. Now I spent. I spent a good five years early on with a company named Oberheim, right when drum machines and synthesizers came into music, right? So right when they were heavy into production cycle of music, I was working at the factory that made them. So I would work from 7 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon making drum machines and synthesizers Wow! from component level up. I was a bench technician and troubleshooting, and then I went to customer service. At night, from a about seven thirty to midnight i will moonlight going in the studios and helping people program drum machines and synthesizers on their records
1: who were some of the first so, pre- people that you you did this for if there were any names that we know
3: oh my god um the, you can go to the albums uh let me see i did uh i did a group called eu out of dc we did a track called butt. buck wild buck- yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, We did a tune called Buck Wild. I did. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, it was it was so many things like that. I Izzy Brothers thing. I did a, a bunch of stuff where people were just buying these these things because they made these unique sounds, but they wouldn't crack a manual.
0: Mm.
3: And in the case of in the case of Buck Wild, I was working with a producer named Raymond Jones, and he's no longer here. But Raymond was a real cool guy he was a former keyboard player here in Chic. And he was, he was doing some stuff for Spike. He would always do some music. We also did a, I Don't Want to Be Alone Tonight on the School Day soundtrack.
1: Okay. Okay.
3: Um, wow. Yeah, a bunch of stuff, man. But a bunch of stuff. And, and uh, uh, it was just, you know, it was fun work, but it helped me to see that there was another side to this. It helped me to get indoors. Be, being a part of the company, Oberheim, um, helped me walk past the racist. in the the industry okay, because the same doors that they wouldn't let me in when I knocked and said, I'm Dave Hanson. I'm fresh out of trade school. I know electronics. I know this. When I became Dave from Oberheim, they had a parking spot for me.
1: Wow. Now Dave, I got to ask this question. (laughs) I I, got to ask this because I want to get in this conversation. Now when you look at the music business well I want to say the business part when you look at least the, <laughs> the 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 artist sort of way it's presented is that you know the, everybody's welcome I'm talking about how it's presented you know oh you do this kind of music uh-huh. cool come on in yeah we're going to p- put everybody out but behind the scenes and especially when you're talking about being an engineer uh the technical stuff being at the studio uh It seems a little different because even my own limited situation, you know, I had a a background in doing uh, CD replication, uh, duplication, that kind of stuff. And I remember when I first got into it, uh, only because only only way I got into it because my boy was in there and he got a shot in. So he pulled me in. But if I would have if we just came in nilly nally, you know, it was a good old boy system. You know, it was an older guy's world as well. But yeah. we were like the only ones And the only time In the time I did go to the studio For the grace that there was A young brother they had Working there as a as an engineer And it was a rock studio Was the only reason Why I got to go in there really And was comfortable To sit in there And spend all my money And learn mm-hmm. this shit But I noticed that There wasn't a lot of us In these positions To drag people in Or to even just learn You know Thank God for ele- uh, electronics well, Where we got to learn at home Yeah But you know, you getting into a more professional capacity of it. I mean, how was that and you said that the, the the knowledge made you uh, skip past the uh, the racism or working for Oberheim, excuse me. but I mean for a lot well, of it, yeah it helped me it helped me,
3: yeah, it helped me understand the battle you know first first of all, um, you're not going to change something that's been around a long time you know the institution and the attitude of entertainment has always been the 50-year-old white guy in the room, right? Mm-hmm. We, have, uh, we have a new generation of millennials, and some of them are decision makers and shot callers via whatever. But you're not going to change that. But what you can do is, is notice what's going on and figure out your own way. I, I had to figure out early on that my best way to change things was to stay working and be relevant. Okay. Because if I was working and relevant, then I could change something even back in my neighborhood or wherever, you know, I could do that. Um, but my shot was in essence, my shot. And I had to structure an attitude for myself and how I was going to take things. How, how was I going to, you got to realize too, when I was in college it was the first time they were making you be, take African American history as a mandatory subject. So by the time you got out of there, you were so uh, angry, (laughs) that the first couple of encounters that you have you you're not taking no shit and everybody who says something off to you you like what the fuck did you mean by that you know and so i had to tone that cat down because you know i had some pretty militant professors at the college i was at you know that that you know they were they were they were they were into it and so uh my thing was just trying to understand this thing called entertainment understand here's how I can make my money. Here's how I can do this. And, uh, noticing, okay, cool. This, this is the Oberheim job. helped me get me in the door and it helped get me to this and this. And now I'm meeting people. Now it's about relationships. Now it's about follow through. Now it's about consistency. And then it's about more people, more people remember all this time, no cell phone, no Mm -hmm. business cards, no, no internet. right? Right. and, I I also figured out that in my town, the creative people in my community who look like me all lived in a certain area or from this area down. And so as I would get the ability to go to some of these other areas where we weren't, and I would then go back to where the creative people were in my side of town, I would take some of this little knowledge I learned there and I would put it, inject it into what was going on on my side of town and the creative situations there. And I saw that it started to make a wave for me. It started to say, Oh, call him. He knows, call him. He knows. Right. And I thought, okay, this is good. This stuff works. Um, I have to just not get offended by this because every time I get a call to go in a room, the message is for me to be inside the room. The message is for me to be mad on the outside, nor can I go in the room and start counting black people. Right. Mm. That's the other thing that, that kind of wipes us out. Sometimes when we run into the room, we start counting black people. I met a couple of young guys, uh, black engineers early on, and they would run into the room and start counting the number of black people in the room. And I'm going like, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Mm. If you don't figure out what your purpose, purposes in the room and how you stay in the room and you don't figure out what this room is about the room is not about fighting racism the room is about somebody wants to do some music mm. do you have something to contribute to this room and this music and if the music gets done and it goes out and it's a hit guess what you just fought racism because you did it together with a group of people who you never met same reason I, I don't get caught up into what people believe. When people used to say, I believe this, I believe this. And everybody want to fight about what they believe in. You know what? I believe that, and jazz taught me this. I believe that I've been on a bus and on a plane with people who believe a bunch of different things. But when the curtain went up and we all it was showtime, we slayed them. Mm. Why? Because that's how powerful music is. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what matters is that together, we decided we're going to do this, and our intent was pure. might not make sense to everybody because they want to, have, they want to have their own belief system take over and rule everything, but you have to have respect for other people if you're going to be included in any kind of conversation. If you don't, then plan on being on the outside a lot. Plan on running in a room, and the of your experience might be you, you're, the, you're the guy who counts all the buttons. <laughs> you you say, know, don't count all the. But if a the truck br- hits you tomorrow, if if the truck hits you tomorrow, you don't want your casket to read "Here lies so and so." He counted us all the time, right? he you to the room. <laughs> you, there's more for you to contribute in life than running in the room, counting how many black people in the room. Okay. You got if you can make a way for some great but also realize that your journey is for you. That so I've been through every phase of. Angry Black, Plow Black. First book I wrote, I was kinda angry when I go back and read it. Mm. You know, it's kinda angry because I had years of seeing different people do different things. And I've even seen
1: look, man, I
3: when I first started and I would say something in the studio, and you gotta realize even though I was known as the Oberheim guy, I'm walking in the studios and I already know how to engineer. I've been engineering for a long time, but I would never tell them that I knew how to engineer because I realized they had never seen a black person who had a technical knowledge and a company was relying on them. Wow. They had never seen that. So it was throwing the artists off. It was throwing the studio tech off. And if I would say something like, Hey, something sounds out of faith, man, that would start a whole controversy. It's like, well, if he can hear it's out of faith, how come you couldn't hear it's out of faith? Wow. Right? But they don't know I just spent all day in a factory testing things and on test gear and doing this as a living. So I realized okay, I have to tone back my my thing to what, what I'm being asked to do because it can it can sidetrack things in wanting to, to just be correct and make sure I was helpful, I can actually stop things because I'm being overly helpful. They might not want that kind of help,
1: right? That's not, that's not like some. to keep it to
3: what I'm I'm supposed to be there to
1: do. Some forty eight laws of power type shit, where it's like you know, you don't always. Yeah, step Vince. I, out. I
3: yeah, eventually <laughs> I came to read that book. I, I read I, I read that book when after it came out. But you know, to me, it's just black man survival one hundred and one. You know, if you if you <laughs> right have, right right, you know, it, it has nothing. They could call it the forty eight laws of power, but everything that they write a book about we have to add a special page and a special section to here's how you do it if you're us. Here's how you do it if you're us. Because this game, entertainment, the record business, whatever, is not set up to send me work, to pat me on the back and say great job, to hold me out and give me an opportunity. What is, is if I can develop relationships with other people and we have a commonality and success in what we do and they say, you know what, just somebody I like having around because he's got a lot of information and I think it'd be good to be there. And 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 those are the people who I call my friends, you know, no matter what color they are, because they realize that I have value, I realize that they have value and we respect one another. You know, I've had people be extremely rude to me, but most of the time it's ended up in me getting more work. Hmm. Right? I had one engineer be totally rude to me. This mu- this see, I almost cursed, man. I almost cursed.
1: You can curse yeah. on this show. I don't care. About <laughs> the fuck.
3: Yeah, th- you know, I, but I don't want it to go on here. I don't want to see my, you know, you gonna get me riled up. Um,
1: <laughs>
3: this motherfucker actually told me over dinner. He goes, he goes. I'm having dinner with the artist and his wife. And the minute I say this, you so will know who he is. Um, but this motherfucker actually had to turn to be say who well who are you and what have you done I've never heard of you.
1: Wow. That's I, what they so say at that though. Point, they say that kind at of At that stuff.
3: point at that point I said, "Well I'm I'm Ken and Ken and Heller's kid." And that's who I am. I said, "And I'm I'm Robert Brittany's father." Hilarious. I, I said, "But I ain't never heard of you neither." So, <laughs> now what? <laughs> You know, but it was, you know, but I, you know, he was just so arrogant and he was trying to tell me that he, he was the engineer for an artist and he, and the artist was building a studio in his house. And the artist asked me to do another project for him that was totally separate. So he was meeting with me to tell me that he had the checkbook and it was all about him. He was in control of everything. And I was like, and he said this in front of the artist and his wife. And I just looked at him. I'm like, wow. I said, okay. I said, that's cool. I said, hey, you know, it was good meeting all you guys. you know. And at that, I shook their hand and got up. Man. And I wasn't four blocks away when I got a call on the phone from the artist's wife saying, we're really sorry and we understand if you don't ever want to work with us ever again. Wow. And he's good. And he's going to call you in a minute because we told him to apologize. Mm. You know, because he didn't even know who I was. He didn't even stop to do any research. Just this year intensity of his whiteness caused him to flare up and say i never heard of anybody who has this kind of proficiency who is this cat you know yeah, but yeah. He, he substitute the word cat he ain't never seen nobody that looks dressed like me you know in in a, in a tan suit so wow he played know, himself basically I, I just thought it was yeah he played himself and the bottom line is that this is a this is a pervasive theme that I would see all through my career, it never stops. It never stops. I see it to this day where really? where you have handlers and you have assistants and you have people around black artists who believe that they are, in fact, the thing that keeps that, that running. When they don't understand that the, the artist and their art is what keeps that whole planetary activity in orbit around them you know and, and i want, so if you, if I want you to line touch, up the top yo, okay well,
1: well i just wanted to say because that brings me around I bring back to prince for a second but this would tie into a lot of the people that you work with and, yeah. and miles davis is maybe not as so much as but in terms of this is what makes this is why you are working it's not yeah because you're the manager or whatever and you think you have no this guy makes this music that speaks to the world and this is the yeah. reason why we're here. And I'm, I want to frame this to say: so, looking at like Prince's legacy, you know, the, the narrative uh, of Prince going forward, and who controls that yeah. and why. Like to me, <clears> Prince <throat> is Prince. Obviously, you know, Prince he transcends a lot of things. But you know, to keep it funky, you know, he was a, 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 a young black boy out of Minnesota who rose to, to greatness. But his mm-hmm. story is still our story. You know what I mean? When I, you know what I'm saying? And in, in, in like... Yeah. In some ways, you have a lot of people that have worked with him of just of human beings. But mm-hmm. I think it's important too. A lot of times we see... I see this with Hendrix sometimes and Hendrix is from Seattle. You know? But I, right. how right. I was introduced to him, I would damn near didn't have no idea. He lived in Seattle, Washington. I thought it was just some... It had nothing to do with black folks. I knew he was black, but I was like, I didn't know just the way it was presented. It was to the point where I had to actually meet, like, his boys. They were older people. You know, I was able to meet right. to actually tell me the real story, like, yo, yeah, he was on the block earlier, right here next to your grandma and them, da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, okay. He, We could actually do what he did. I had no idea. You know, it was sort of, and what I mean is that the, his story was sort of framed where it was like some outer-worldly rock thing that sometimes we don't associate with and i don't want to see if this makes any sense i don't want to see prince's sort of story sort of framed where we don't understand that he represented all of us but you know for black people as well it's we should champion him particularly because he's one of the last sort of icons of our generation that was so huge it touched the world that we 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 should be proud of him but we should also make sure that uh how do i say I'm trying to give examples to make it make sense. The same way when the Rolling Stones or some of these groups, they can still tour or they're still heralded in a very strong light and we still go out and support whatever they do. We still have to support Prince. Not to say that we don't, but I'm just saying in the long term, I'm going to hold down Prince just as a fan in this podcast and stuff to make people understand. We hold this, we holding him up. (laughs) God damn it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah, No, it's
3: it's a a culture. It's a... Yeah, it's a cultural responsibility there. to acknowledge that somebody has laid a path, and and you know he's he's done it in such a way where he he had everybody looking. You know, the one thing I'll take that all of them have in common, and I I I recently because I work with the Miles of State, but I recently did a show where I had uh, Jimi Hendrix's sister on, and I had. Uh, you know, intimate knowledge of Miles' situation. One thing that they had in common was they had the same manager. People didn't know that. Mm. A lot of people don't know. Jimi Hendrix and Miles had the same manager, but you think about the times when these men existed. You think about what was going on, and you think about what was happening in this country, and then you ask yourself, well, hmm, how are these guys fighting? And my theory about how these guys made their contribution, and we'll get back to Prince. And what you're saying, but it's important that people know my theory is that these guys all had their own way of of dealing with that, and it was by being so good that everybody had to look
1: mm, okay, I feel that you
3: understand what I'm saying? Yeah if you're given the stage, if you're given the stage to do your art, and you're so good that everybody has to look, yeah, you just fought it. And you just won. Why? Because at a certain point, you're doing something that someone can't do, no matter what they spout, no matter what the times dictate, no matter where we're at. And so that's the dynamic you have to look at. And again, music allowed that to happen on that stage. So those are the things that our people saw when they looked at these artists, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The thing that we all experience when we look at him is somebody who's groundbreaking Who inevitably did it his way when we watched Prince's career, who had his own way of dealing with the industry and had his own way of coming out on top, right? It was a, it was a dance that we all did in concert, okay? All of us who were, had the fortune enough to be successful with him in, 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 in live concerts or working in the studio or anything like that. It was, it was just a whole symbiotic relationship that everybody shared. Because we knew at the end of the day, you know, and, and Morris Hayes put it best when I first started there. He gave me one piece of advice. He said, "Hey man, if you do everything that you do, because he already knows what you do, he already did his research." Mm. He said, "If Prince wins, music wins."
1: Say that one more time, because you kind of you kind of cut out a little bit. Say that one more time.
3: Morris Hayes told me, "If Prince, if Prince wins, music wins." Mm. So in other words, you do everything you can to the best of your ability. That's all, that's all you could ever do. And when he, and when, when that show goes off or when that record goes out or when he has the effect he wants to have on his community and the world, then we, then music wins. And that's, that's real. That's as real as you can get. So at that point you realize I'm part of something that's a little bit bigger I need to, I need to really, and he would always encourage to say, hey, man, when you think about something, think big, think, think big, mm-hmm. don't think local, think big, you know, so all these lessons, you know, if you, and, and the way that we curate his legacy amongst all of us is when we speak about him to speak about him in terms of what he left us as individuals. Cause nobody will ever own that. Like I was explaining to you. Mm-hmm. No one ever owns my moments with him right i don't have to call and talk to some jive ass attorney about what right. can i say about what can i say about what i did or no 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 nobody owns my moments nobody owns my time i'm contributing to to what i did and the same thing for everybody else those are times that were just for all of us and that's what you feel sometimes when people are trying to say hey th- this is not who we knew stop stop doing this stop talking about it like this even to where we wish there would be a proper focus on it. I think I think in the long run, here, here's, here's my take on it from day one. In life, nobody could control him. Mm. Do you think anybody can control him in death? No. Ultimately, no. Do you think if there's a bunch of folks that should have been handling stuff one way and they ended up handling it another way, Way as we're now seeing as the things unfold, um, whatever it seems to be, do, if, do you think for one minute that they can actually develop something good off of off of doing things wrong over and over and over again? When that was not his way, the thing that has everybody so shocked when they look at his legacy, when they look at what's gone on in the last year, is that. Much of it is not his way. Right. So we all go, you know what? That's fucked up. In whatever language we say or whatever word we use. Because we know in our heart, no matter what kind of relationship that anybody had with him, come time for the show, come time to do what we all were asked to do. It was about doing it together and making it happen. And and that whole effect that the world has because they see that sign, they hear that music. It belongs to every band that he ever had. It belongs to every person he ever worked with in the studio. It belongs to all of us. You know the love that everybody has for
1: that. It, it's interesting what you say because I've sort of hear like uh, in terms of what's going on now, uh, and sort of what's the purpose or theme behind the, the the moves they're making. And I'm wondering if it's more about. The moves they're making now are more about the money and, and what they can sort of get out of all of the music, as opposed to, I think, when Prince was around, it was about the music. You know what I mean? Like,
3: Well, hey. well, well, now Not to say he wasn't up about his paper.
1: <laughs> but, say that again?
3: <laughs> no, no. Now it's when we call upon Big Sexy. Big Sexy, <laughs> before I delve into my next answer... <laughs> I need your legal mind on this. <laughs> well, damn again. One thing. Allegedly. To say. Allegedly. Allegedly. And it it seems to me and it seems to all of us who are thinking people that it's kind of obvious that there are some combined intents going on that sometimes might be in line and sometimes most of the time maybe seem like they're out of line. And it also seems like the The rush to do certain things as far as whip deals out and create this you know, I guess in an effort to create an influx of money, possibly um, it creates a potential pot of invoices. <clears throat> I think if your invoices you create in a year from his death don't equal more money than is needed to stop the problems that you supposedly set up that we're so fearful of not having enough money for. Then that needs to be taken a look at. All of it needs to be taken a look at because at the end of this is someone who has a tremendous legacy. And this is not the way legacy situations are handled or curated, nor can you just make shit up. You can't just go, okay, we're going to do this over here. We're going to only talk to these people. We're going to only talk to these people. And then we're going to come out here and this is going to be the thing we have over here. And this line is going to tell our truth as we sell it. Not when you have all these people who experience something different, right? You take a sampling, you do research and develop. I mean, you talk to everybody, you find out what's going on. You, 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 you do your due diligence. You understand that there is a process for valuing things, people, and information. You understand that in order to say, hey, it's worth this, it's worth this, you know, you first have to evaluate things and see what condition they're in, you know. There's only a couple people who had access to the vault. Everybody's acting like they've just been tracing all through the vault, <laughs> right? Everybody has been in that vault, and we all know who we are have another understanding of the condition the way things are so don't get it twisted there's a lot of work to do there's a lot of work to do to really have this thing be worth uh, what it is and have it be something that the family can count on for what they need and and it needs to be taken seriously from the start from the start
1: so so i gotta ask what i gotta ask you i'm sorry go ahead well
3: no you go, go ahead
1: i wanted to ask you then so with that said uh can you speak to, you know, why, why are, so are you working with the, with the estate or, uh, you know, they contacted you? Uh, I want you to, I want you to tell them like, cause I think it's important here. I'm going to, I'm going to frame it this way and then I'm going to let you answer. Give me a second. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm man. on my preacher stuff. <laughs> now, ahead, I, now I know a person and, and, and this is a good dude, so I'm not shitting on nobody. I'm not gonna even say their names, but I know of a person who is a fan, and mm-hmm. uh they went into Paisley Park, was hired to come in there, and, and they're and they're hired mm-hmm. to come in there because they do a good job. They keep it let me keep it funky on that. Mm-hmm. But they weren't you know, they weren't a part of Paisley like you were and worked there, but you know, they came in and was hired mm-hmm. uh to go in there and catalogue a lot of of stuff that was in there. I won't say what stuff, mm-hmm. but a, a lot of stuff. You got to see a lot of interesting stuff. And right. they, they got the you know, they were working there and they, you know, did the whole thing. Now, I question, because I already know the answer, why you are not sort of given that uh, opportunity to do it in the right way to come in there and, and to say, hey, can you explain what you understand about this and how you did this and where things are so that we can properly categorize everything, catalog it and figure out the value or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I was a little, Um. I, so yeah, yeah. I want to speak in that because after you told me what you said the other day, I was a little, I felt a little kind of way, like they don't make no sense then why you wouldn't be in there. Cause I know they are rolling the carpet out and giving people jobs, uh, and making sure they're comfortable to come out there and do what they need to do. And they ain't had nothing to do with it. So uh, go ahead.
3: Well, you know, I mean, I, am I no, um, and why? Probably because when I was contacted, I was contacted so poorly and unprofessionally that I was concerned about them devaluating his, his asset that that was in place even before they got started it was a concern to me about the process that they were engaging in and just communicating with people because it just seemed so out of the ordinary. It was not done in a, in a way that, that I had ever been approached in this manner before. And when I pointed that out, nobody seemed to want to respond in the fashion that you're supposed to. You know, Um, I think that why, why I can't answer somebody else's why all I can say is that, you know, the time that we were there represents a time when Paisley was non-operative, and then we working to a, a operate a fully operating and modified facility. So, yes, it would be logical to talk to me or any of my team, and I've made everybody available. I've made everybody's emails and everybody's stuff available.
1: Um, to tell them how they kind con- can you problem, tell, can, can you tell that? <laughs> Just tell them, I want. To- did
3: they contact me? Well, they, they contacted me and asked me if I would fly out there. They, they, who they was, it? Say,
1: hey, who was it? Hey, <laughs> you who know, was it? I'm somebody, on my name and names somebody, right now. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was it was very somebody very close to the situation <laughs> contacted me in a way that was less than favorable. Uh, and when I asked them to to basically just you know let's put it on paper, you want to make something real, put it on paper. Let's what's your what's your title officially in this capacity? Who's your supervisor? And let's get this on, on an email so that I can respond to it and hand it to the people who handle this for me. Because just as I would with Miles Davis situation, I would, I would go through a process. It's a process. Right. And then, and what they're trying to do is research. So, okay, cool. They contacted me for research. Here's what we did, but I'm not getting up, stopping my life, flying out there on my own dime and, sitting down and telling everybody everything that that, I don't have that kind of time. And that's not how research is done to me. That's not how you do it. You, you go out and you engage the people who, you know, historically are associated with certain parts of time. You put them all together at at a a time that's appropriate. You compensate them for whatever time you're taking up out of their life and their professional career. And then you get to asking the questions you need to ask in order to validate, verify, and put a through time format on what's going on. Probably the most hurtful thing for me is to go and take a tour and listen to someone talk about a room that I built and say it was a secret mm. and say it was this and say it was that. When in fact it was a room that I drew on a napkin when he and I had a conversation in the kitchen because it was, a place that we needed and we didn't know he didn't want to see certain things so it's it was really strange and hurtful can you are you there
1: no i'm listening yeah I'm, we take oh yeah. yeah oh
3: yeah something just went off something just went ding what was that
1: we don't hear it on our side
3: i don't hear anything oh okay i don't know what that was something just went ding no, um, you know so it was very hurtful to me to 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 be there and i was taking my daughter and some family members through the facility Wow. And we were all familiar with it, and we're like, okay. And my do- my daughter, who's nine, said, "Dad, that's tell him, tell him, tell him you made it." Tell him. So I had to raise my hand and say, "Well, no, it wasn't a secret. Mm. This isn't a secret room. This was a room that was designed this way." So you have misinformation even going out on the tour, you know. Wow. And it, and and it's not just for me. Like I said, when we undertook this project to do this, there were a lot of local craftsmen. My heart. There were a lot of serious people who, who live in a community who are professionals who contributed their time mm-hmm. and, and contributed their talent to bringing this place online and correcting some problems that were seriously wrong. So I, I love to see everybody get their proper credit. I don't like to see people do uh, TV shows where they show the inside of Paisley with all the new rooms and then they show the original and talk to the original architect. And he only built one room, two rooms. Right.
1: See, that, that's Don't what I'm talking about—the narrative. Because man. it's inaccurate. Right.
3: It's yeah, the narrative. But but again, if I say something, then it's like, oh, he's in it for him. No, not for me. Don't mention my name. Just mention that that work was done during another period. It's about everybody who contributed to that. You 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 do an injustice to the community if I went and sought people out who were the best at what they do in that community at all all kinds of trades, and I used them you neutralize their effectiveness as professionals because they can never go in there and reference it because you're not paying attention to what their work they did. You know, and I think that's, that's disingenuous. So, you know, uh, but like I said, the the main thing, why they did, I don't know why they did it that way. I don't know why um, it's being done that way. I can only imagine that inevitably they want to tell their story and maybe their story will somehow be in line with what actually happened. But I don't think it matters. I think what matters is that um, all of us who were around him were affected by him enough to know the power of one person and the power of one person when they make up their mind to do what they want. I'm talking to you right now and saying what's, what I want. And, right. and it's going to go out. And there's going to be people that believe and there's going to be people that say, oh, hey. Can you show me proof? You know what? I I don't have time. I've been doing that shit my whole life, man. I Mm -hmm. I don't need to show people proof of anything. Proof is in my work. There you go. (laughs) Proof is in my work. And so the bottom line is that if you have love for him and he affected you, go out there and and talk about it whenever you can. Whenever I go in front of uh, music classes and lecture and talk at schools, I try and make them understand what, what it means when we've lost an individual like this who who in essence is our last, one of our last real links. Right. If we want to really be honest, he's one of our real last links from modern pop music, whatever you want to call it, to the Mississippi Delta Blues Experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. If you really want to understand the full gamut of his importance in what he's done, not only musically, but what he's done to the business of, and the mindset of independent thought. Mm. then then you're doing something don't just author a book and sit up here and I'm just going to regurgitate everything I hear on these, these, these phone calls with different people no, get into why it was important for him to be seen in the world doing what he was doing get into what people thought about him in other countries, what people thought about his lyrics, his words, his music and his story, all over the world whenever you go out and and if anybody is fortunate enough to be in entertainment, when you go, when the first time you experience going to another country, particularly countries in Europe, where music is a little bit more revered, and you are with an artist, and you understand the reception that they get, part of the reception we get as people of color is because all over the world, our story is known. Mm -hmm. All over the world, our story is known. They know what our people have been through. right? So while they like your songs all over the world, people are also aware of the history of our people. And so that is also something that's amazing. that is also something that is a magnet that attracts and it's a, people look at it and go, wow, after all that, they still, and they're good too. I can't take my eyes. Out. I just want to see what they're going to do next. Right. I'm um, not to say that any other artist from any other place is, is is not good. It's just I'm just speaking to the special qualities that that artists of color have that they don't sometimes don't realize. Yeah, you know, sometimes what happens if you can have you have a conversation and you know you you get the same thing. Everybody doesn't hear this side of you, and they'll get scared because they're going, "Oh, he's just he's so militant. He's so you know." And, no, it's not that at all. I, I'm fully aware of the effect that people of color have when they deliver their entertainment all over the world. I'm fully aware of the power, of the impact that has. So, having seen it from all these perspectives, I just think you have to take notice of it. And, like I said, within the case of first, you, you know, honor it. If you were a part of the thing and, and you you feel like it should go a different way, take the time when you have a voice to say something that takes it in a different direction because these people who are popping up in the news and and all these stories about the the, the business side that's going to ride. You know, that's going to ride for a reason because these these are experts that are out here fucking up. Right? Mm. Seemingly fucking up, right? It would seem to me that these are experts that are fucking up. So, how many people who were around him who were experts in what they did had the option to fuck up? I I, I never had that option. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I never experts. had
3: that option, so I they're, I just question the experts who say they're experts.
1: Well, <laughs> I I will say yeah. this: they're not experts on getting their check. I mean, they are experts on getting their check. Well, in terms, you know, they ain't giving they their ain't money back on these mistakes. Experts on
3: getting theirs. That's what I'm saying. Right, right. <laughs> I think I think the bigger issue is that when you're selling something, and you're selling it as you're being there to help, you you better be about helping. R- right. And that don't mean. Help yourself. help yourself. You better be about helping. You be better be about uh, making the situation right, getting it together, doing the steps right, being being totally transparent, and making sure that the family. Because regardless of what anybody ever thinks, his family is his family. Right? You're not his family. I'm not his family. You know what? I'm I'm part of the family of people who created with him, and that's it. Other than that, I'm not a blood relative. That's a whole nother That's a whole another process, and that's what I'm saying. Even that process is being is being defunct by all this BS activity. It's like, why, why can't we just see the family just get get some structure and the things that they need? That would be great because mostly all the, if you go to any other place where there's some legacy involved, you're going to see some st- structure in some places. Some places you won't, but a place like this, you honestly should. And there's no reason why it can't be like that.
1: Just on a, on a, you don't have to go too deep, but just in comparison between, because you say you're working with uh, the Miles Davis estate, right? Which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very valuable and very respected. What, what are some of the difference you turn in terms of structure? I mean, is there? And again, it's maybe not. It's not in the news, but. I assume his family's together on that or maybe I
3: think there's a certain pro. Yeah. I think there's a certain protocol that goes on because legally everything has been put into the categories it needs to be put into so that when it comes to decision-making and brand that the brand can move forward, even though the person is physically no longer with us because Together, the family has an understanding of how they need to proceed to do this because the body of work is so big, the contribution to music is so big that okay, if we're going to move this thing forward, how we do it? How do we do it in a way that protects and, and promotes the legacy of the best of what they left? And how do we do it in a way that is honorable to the to the value of the assets that they left and to the distribution of those assets to the to people in the family because that's and, and and the other people who are involved in that process. So I think those are all things that they're already sat around and decided, but there's structure to it. And when that structure is not to when the first thing that happens is confusion, it's like, how do you get, how do you get this result? You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if we just go off of what we read and like I said, I just saw one in the, in the, in somebody posted, I don't know if it was you, somebody posted it. You know, we got people squabbing over not wanting to give back the the money, the uh, they the bonus, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. And but you didn't do nothing except potentially create a situation in business where to the to the general public who doesn't understand a, the word estate, right? Mm-hmm. Most people in the public don't understand the word estate. State, so they would assume that when they say a state, that they're saying the family, right? And so, a lot of times, if, if this thing isn't in the proper shape, you don't know that this is the family that got them into this. It might be somebody else that got them into this, and they're just using, you know, creative, uh, hiding behind creative phrases,
0: mm.
3: so that they don't take the full heat of bad decision making. You know, it's it's really disingenuous to do that. To, you know, we've got a situation now where, what is it, Universal wants their money back? Mm-hmm. Now, now, how's that? This is one of the greatest musicians and writers to ever live. And less, we, we're not even a full year from his passing, and they want their money back. So now, if if we just look at this from a business per- standpoint, how are you going to value anything larger than the, the deal you fucked up? it's janky i mean maybe (laughs) maybe i don't know a lot about the business maybe you're gonna have to either make up some facts or you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do something that's dynamic in order to make that happen and just this is just how thinking people look at this situation and Mm -hmm. it's really i hate to i hate to do this and hate to say it but this is the obvious stuff that people are saying that you have to just go man now. and then let's look at let's go a little further because we we have to look at where music is today because you're going to ask me where do you think music is today? Well, music today is 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 a majority of the thing where it's a streamed event, right? Right. A streamed royalty conversation is much different than a traditional royalty conversation. Mm-hmm. Can we say that? Can we use that we, we agree. general language? Yeah. Big Sexy, you're you're the legal expert here. Agreed completely. <laughs> Let's go with okay. it. Okay. So so if we're going to say that then why would we be in a huff to go and do this dance called the vault the vault the vault let's all just jump around and say what's in the vault let's all get when in fact the end result of any of that is going to be a streamed royalty not a traditional music world.
1: Yeah, well, it, 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 you want to get that, uh, that I, get that bonus check is not a stream money. I, he get well, that, they get well, that upfront money and they can walk.
3: I, well, exactly, exactly. So at, at a certain point, when you start asking questions that deal with the money, and I'm just generalizing, so there are probably some more complex answers. And I'm just generalizing because again, this is what people do when they look at the situation. Because again, you're going to try and you're going to try and package and sell things and say it has value create a story around it, please make sure the stories are accurate.
0: Mm.
3: Right? You know, we got something that's from Warner Brothers, but what did they do? Warner Brothers curated the information that they're getting ready to release with the Purple Rain stuff. And what did they do? They gathered the people together who were around at the time and had conversations with them and added extra materials that validate what was done. Mm. That's, that's part of the process that you do to make things have worth. But you don't sit there and just oh fuck it, let's make it up. <laughs> you know, let's let's just wing it. You know, I'm just yeah, we don't need involvement. Hey hey, you know, if we can't get it for free, then we're not gonna we're not gonna go. Wow. You, you know, it's, come on, man. It's you know, but this is just this is just me looking at it, answering you right. on a call because we're just talking, right, Michael? For we're
1: sure.
3: Just talking. Yes, sir. <laughs> we just talking. We just talking. Right? And and. And anybody who's got a problem with anything I say, um, you know, hey, you know what? I'm just an engineer, man. I'm just saying, what the? What do I know? What
1: do I know? I just. An engineer. <laughs> well, you know, I, again, just looking at it from the outside, and I don't. I'm not trying to slander anybody. And to be to be hundred hundred percent, I have a lot of respect. Uh. I'll say, say the man's name because I respect him, Lon Dale, just on the level of GP. Just on the level that I know that's a brother doing his thing and I've read some stuff about him and I've seen some of the moves he's done, uh, particularly for like hip hop and different things and I respect that kind of stuff. So when I see these type of stories now with this Prince thing, it, it's to me it's shocking to me because I'm like, I always thought, you know, to me, that seemed like a good brother, like somebody that, I know he helped Prince, I even saw the stuff he was doing with Michael Jackson in that book and I had to tip my hat, like, Londell kept it funky with Mike and and, and tried to bail him when he could. Yeah. Now, I know there's some other stuff uh, with, uh, you know, the depositions of Jacksons, I ain't got nothing to do with that but I just say, I, so I would have respect on that so as he, I know that he has said on interviews <laughs> where stuff is about the culture, I'm just hey saying, man, for too, the culture, too,
3: baby, it's, <laughs> Big sexy I don't know
1: What you doing <laughs> <laughs> Is
3: this you... <laughs> too baby Or something Because you got A lot of respect for him
1: Well no 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 I, I'm saying in sense of uh, <laughs> I like to always get, I, I like this. I'm always on cold first And what I mean by that For our people I'm yeah. going to give you The benefit yeah. of that I'm not going to Blast you out On, on the media yeah. You know yeah. So you know What I'm saying So I'm talking it Like that but, uh, I get it I get it But I, I say that To say yeah, though I, I say that to say I want them to it don't owe me no explanation, but for the culture and for the culture of Prince, we gotta do right. better. It has to look better. Because oh, other uh, people are looking I, I at this. Total yeah, I other people total are agreement. looking at this and if they're gonna see us doing something that looks kind of janky, then how you think they gonna <laughs> wanna handle it? so we can't well, be like that out there like that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah,
3: and how are they and how are they gonna handle it when when there's an opportunity to do something and then it- doesn't necessarily involve let's say him but it you know just an opportunity to honor and you know it just it just has to happen and, and it will happen and it, it might not involve Londell. you don't know you know i mean he 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 came in and he represents what he has done so far and and i think that's that's his uh that's his thing you know i i think uh all those guys you know if you're gonna if you're gonna be in that role of expert, it's a it's a rough role to be in.
1: Yeah, and and, and make sure I'm not throwing him by, out by there. Far. Char- What's his name? Charles Copelman. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm holding him as the same thing. So I'm not just throwing a brother out there now. I want to make sure we get the other cat out well, there. You
3: know, I mean, just as it, funny. It, you know, those those are all they're they're all def- definitely hot button names. I mean. You know, if if you were if uh, if we had the fortune to say, you know, if, if Prince was still alive, would he and Charles Coughlin be fishing buddies? I don't know. <laughs> I think not. Well,
1: there's probably a but, lot of stuff going on that Prince wouldn't I, even be a part yeah, of. The yeah, right. yeah,
3: there's probably a lot of stuff like that. And and but again, that's the problem when you're in a situation like this and you're trying to put the pieces together. Is that you know everybody's got to use what comes at them and make decisions. And, and it's, it's challenging, man. It's challenging. I wouldn't want to be in any, anybody else's shoes, let alone some of the the family members. You know, it's it's a rough situation when you've got to discern everybody around you and what their intent is. Right. It's, it's rough. And, and at the end of the day you still have the bottom line because this thing is going to fall on them as a, as a group, as a team. Right. You know, at the end of the day, that's the thing that's, people have to understand that the, the legacy situation when, when, when all the shouting's done, it's the family and the structure that they put together that represents the decisions that will be made that take this thing into the future for however long and however strong. And And all that most of us want to see is that there is something that goes on and on that we can tell our kids and our grandkids about and, say, yeah, there once was a person like this who did this, and, and this is where they lived, and this is where they created music. I mean, it's, it's part of my family. you know. Like I said, for me, this goes way beyond, oh, yeah, I did a job for this cat. Right. You know, If I wouldn't have said yes and taken that phone call that night, I wouldn't have my little nine-year-old girl here, because I would never have gone to Minnesota. I would never have met her mother. We would never uh gotten married and had her. Mm-hmm. So, I... I Every day, when I see her, I know what I did with him for a reason. It had nothing to do with song, it had nothing to do with music, it had nothing to do with the studios because that little girl had to be born. Wow! So I don't, I don't, and, and I don't have to talk to no jive sucker ass lawyer, no, <laughs> no, no expert on anything, to have my Story. moment and why right. it's important to me for what I did uh disrupted confused or, or or otherwise misunderstood I feel that yeah, t- so, t- talk and and you know
1: talk to us about your your family in terms of uh, did your family have an opportunity to come and see you know that's a big thing as men we fathers you know we just want our kids to come to our jobs <laughs> and to see what we do i'm i'm being very real though because i I did yeah. that the other day with my daughter yeah. but yeah. did you have that opportunity to have them come and again i'm asking this yeah, because you have the icon with you so
3: yeah i uh yeah i did i had the opportunity to bring them out and you know I, i've had the good fortune of being able to take my kids on the road with me throughout my career i've had a lot of really great clients who allow me to bring them all around the world with me. And, um, uh, you know, uh, I was able to bring at that time. I had, uh, my, my son and my daughter, my daughter, uh, Brittany just passed last year about a month after Prince. And, um, she was 27 and she came out and my son is 31. Now he came out and they, both got a chance to meet him and see what their dad had been working on. And it was a really great moment. You know, he he did something really cool. When uh, I took my family and the whole crew, my whole crew of engineers, to the concert, he uh, he actually shouted out my name during the concert. It was really cool. And I said, nice. wow, man, that's, you know, for for a father, that's the best thing you can do because yeah. my kids were in that teen years where they just, dad's not cool all the time when they're teenagers, you know? <laughs> right. So, so, uh, you know, it was good. It was good. And, and, and um, you know, like I said, those are my two angels, my, my daughter, Brittany and, and him, they, uh, they had an interesting first meeting cause I introduced them and all they did was stand around the, stand across the room from each other and stare at each other. So wow. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> but they were both Gemini. So, you know, so it was it was very interesting, but, uh, you know, it has a special place for I me, mean, man. It was, That's you know, it's a really good thing. But, yeah, they got a chance to see. And then last year, uh, actually, when he was here in L.A., he got a chance to meet Elena, our daughter, and we took her up to the house. And uh, he met her when she was just a baby. And then uh, we got a chance to take her to Paisley last year. And right. since she got a chance to see everything that had happened and where mommy and daddy met, it was really good. Wow. I, 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 really I, you know?
1: I got to ask you this question because it's just interesting and, and it's something we don't get to see and hear a lot of. And I find it fascinating, so I hope the listeners do. When you took your uh, you took your daughter to the prince's house, like how was prince around children like that because we don't never see that that's never shown in the media you know i was <laughs> you know, very curious you know how, how he how he responds to people like kids and stuff
3: uh he just looked down and said and who's this and i said that's elena and i said and she wouldn't be here if you hadn't a call so <laughs> <laughs> and then we just rolled in we came to the side door it was a 77 house in in brentwood not brentwood in uh what is it called Uh it's off of Mulholland. Uh, it's a, a the, the house that it was called Seventy Seven
1: Beverly Drive Park.
3: Oh, okay. Beverly, yeah, Beverly Drive. Mm-hmm. Beverly Park is the is the place where it's at. And um, he was at the side door, right by the kitchen. And we just came in, brought her into the stroller, and you know went all around. And we were talking, and you know he was about to do a an event, so I think I was there to um, see what we needed to do for the event and measure up we would when when he was in la i would go to the houses and, and convert them over so that they could play have the band there playing and and uh have a discotheque downstairs and have just studio in the pool house and it would kind of be a big big deal his oscar parties and his Grammy mm-hmm. parties yeah
1: wow so you were just to be clear i know people already know this but you were part of uh, like the thirty one twenty one parties at his house and
3: mm, yeah of- yeah i would I would get called, and, um, you know, we first started to go to them because we had, we had built this portable studio, so the portable studio went to every house. And then um, because I lived in L.A., sometimes we were home at the same time because I was still flying back and forth to to Minnesota. And uh, so as we started to come back here more, you know, we'd get invited over. Sometimes there'd be parties on Fridays. And, you know, we'd, we'd get invited over, and you'd come over. but My thing was I I loved doing that but I very rarely did the thing when when um only sometimes only a few times in my career when artists have invited me to be social with them mm. because I always feel like you know what let me just do this because if I go I'm going to end up in my mindset of wanting to work and wanting to make sure everything's that attention but I had done pretty much everything I could do you know usually when they were going to do those parties even if if it was a surprise like sometimes scotty would call me and say hey man i'm gonna i'm flying getting on the plane we need to make the the living room ready for a band i need this this and this so within like 12 hours i had to have everything there so sometimes it was done last minute you know where you had to literally convert this house into a nightclub you know wow and uh you know so so it's it's just one of those things but uh you know, I fully in, enjoyed the times that we, we got to just go there and hang. And I, I think I actually brought my daughter Brittany to one of the parties with me when he was at the the Boozer house, the Carlos Boozer house. Wow. Yeah. Uh yeah. I,
1: I wanted to ask was, you a, a personal question if I can. You can let me know if it's too much. Uh-huh. Uh, you said you <laughs> well, you said you met uh your wife and in, in Minnesota, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh I was just asking yep. I'm just asking like how did you meet her cuz you were out there to work like did you, were you living out there for a while or?
3: Oh yeah I lived out there oh, okay. I, lived, I you know I, he had a, he had a house for me out there and I stayed there and uh I met her through Morris Hayes had had uh had a lot of music contact in the city and I, at that time we were bringing paisley online and i was testing the facility so originally paisley was two studios it was studio a and studio b um by the time we finished construction we had we had fixed a and b and then we had added studio c and studio d and we had added a video edit room a library and a uh upstairs we had gone in and redone the room where they make us close and we had redone the conference room and a couple other places and um, we wanted to run the facility because the complaint back in the day when it was two studios was that it couldn't run for X amount so long without there being a problem in one of the rooms. So I'm like, okay, well, if that was the case back then and we just added the two main studios and these other little rooms and, you know, entertainment had moved to the place where most artists were developing and rooms the size of their bedrooms so we had a couple of smaller studios so i said let's run all the studios so morris helped me get a lot of local music talent and and we called them in we had a session going in studio a we had a session going in studio b then we took studio c and we created a session for studio c and one for d and one for the video edit room we started at a certain now ran all day and he and i prepared material that had problems in it. So at the same time, we were testing to stress the facility to see that the power could take it and everything, air conditioning, electrical, everything. We were also testing the people that we were bringing in to potentially hire who were locals to see if they could handle working. Mm. In one room, there was supposed to be an engineer coming who was a friend of someone who was out on the road with with, uh, Prince of Time. Um, The guy never showed, and he never called to say he wasn't going to show up. So I had a room full of musicians and a session waiting, but no engineer. So Morris was able to call this young lady, and she came in, and she, you know, went right to it. engineer, bang, you know, we, we we could save the day. And, you know, upon meeting her, she was very impressive, and, you know, just had, had all the stick to it and, and everything that was needed, and then some, you know.
1: And, And, you know,
3: reminded me a lot of myself. Yeah, yeah, well, it reminded me a lot of myself because of how she focused and how she handled everything, you know. And that's not to say, oh, I love myself, but sometimes when you notice what attracts you to somebody, it's because they have similar characteristics. Right, right. And the ability to focus for me is, I I always like that. It's a very attractive thing, you know, just the ability to, to X out everything else and just knock it out the park, right? So that that was something that was cool. But, you know, again, at that time, I was just trying to find somebody to fill the thing, and it wasn't that kind of thing at all. Uh, you know, it was just, here's somebody who can really handle what's going on. And the other thing was that I was looking for, I wanted there to be a um, amongst all the engineers I brought in, I wanted there to be a woman who could be an engineer in the situation because I know that in the past a lot of his major Accomplishments were happened with Susan Rogers and other people at the helm. Mm, mm-hmm. So that was very important to have that energy in the room because that is an energy that, that he used creatively.
1: Wow! So I, I, I'm just messing, but I went to Did you just shoot your shot that first day? How, how, did you invite me no, back I to?
3: No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, I wasn't interested in the first day because I oh, okay. frankly was. You know, I, I'm I'm an older guy and i was like you know what i just really i was all about business Uh, business. i was very you know the guys will tell you they'll they'll tell you i was not even aware that there was even you know any attraction that you know i I was just (laughs) trying to handle my shit you know no it's probably the most important gig of my life man so i really wasn't thinking that and you also have to understand as a single dad i had pretty much had in my mind you know what i'm i'm
1: cool i feel you
3: while well, i've had girlfriends and stuff like that i have not done anything serious because it was enough for me to to raise a son and a, a daughter mm. you know as a, as a, as a as a father you
1: know how how uh, long so you guys been I was not mar- mar- looking oh i'm sorry go ahead go ahead no go ahead no so how long have you guys been married
3: uh we were married for about oh. 7 years oh okay and we've okay. been divorced now for about about four or five, but we're real good friends, still business partners and still do a lot of stuff together. We're, you know, we co-parent together, so it's real cool. That's what's up. All right.
1: Cool, cool. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I got no... I have no regrets, you know, um, on anything because at the end of the day, like I said, the, the, the job was nothing to do about music as much as people might have thought it was about music. It was about me moving forward and it was about this little girl being born. So she wasn't an accident; she was intended, you know. Nice. So, you know, and I, I think that that's that that, that uh, I can look at the situation and never be angry because of that one reason, you know. I've got so many more that are just like I said; those are the moments, the individual moments that you have where, where wow, he didn't have to do that; he didn't have to do that, and uh, those are all great too. But when I can. Look every day and say, "Wow, this is tremendous!" One phone call changed my life, you know. And no, uh, it's, it's deep, man. It's, it's it's real deep, you know. I, I you have to look at the totality of your journey, man. Every right. time you you get, up, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a wife and kids, or you're fortunate enough to have kids, and you you know just just cherish the, the, the whole thing you have because it's, it, it's something real special you know, something real special. Everyone is unique and they are entirely your responsibility to to kind of give as much information to as you can before they step out into the world. Mm. So
1: You got some, some man lessons right there. Well, you know, <laughs>
3: hey man, I, I you know, as, as fiery as I can get for all the other stuff, at the end of the day, I'm still a dad and I'm still these other things, you know, this right. is a part of my life but my life is, is about so much more. But I, I love, I love the things concerning Prince. I will never have any bad feelings about anything, or or you know nothing. I just I just think that uh, everybody I've met, from the earliest people to the some of the latest people, they are all good people. I Man, we all have such similar characteristics. When you sit down and you hear about how everybody came in contact with him, how they met him, and then how he utilized whatever it was that they had to offer for the situation. You know, he was very strategic in how he went through uh, tapping people for his journey.
1: Word. I want to uh, give uh, Big Sexy opportunity here to ask another question uh, before we wrap things up. Big Sexy. Man, it's over there fast. <laughs> We're going to have to have another one, man. There's a lot more we can get into. But... I'm
3: cool, man. I, I was <laughs> set to talk for two, three hours. Oh, okay. Well, hey. <laughs> we can do that.
1: Yeah. We can do it. Uh, Big Sexy, did you have a question for me?
2: Yeah, let me let me ask this one. There were a couple of things that were uh, running through my mind as I read through your book <coughs> in your early years. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, Which one? uh the second edition audio engineering? Okay, book. okay. You you mentioned something in your early years that really really resonated with me. Uh, you were in school and a guidance counselor, who I have zero respect for as a rule, by the way, told mm-hmm. you that you weren't bright enough. to consider the army and you did what a lot of us have done when faced with that type of (laughs) adversity you went ahead and did your thing now when that happened how did how did that affect you because you'd wanted to go to a college you know for a college visit and this guy pulls you out and says these things what what was the whole dynamic that did that inspire you Just, to say, I'll show him, or this guy's an idiot, or, or what? How did you feel as a young man then?
3: Uh, I felt you feel kind of empty when somebody tells you that and you're in their office. And because the whole term guidance counselor is something that you see, especially if you have an older sibling, you see the older sibling go through everything ahead of time so you look forward to those times cuz they're markers in your life that you're you're getting to be an adult, right? So when he says and what his words were was you don't have the ability to compete on a four-year level. That was his yeah. that was what he said. And again, I was I was not even thinking anything other than wow, he he's, he's deducing this from test scores or from other stuff or whatever. And he doesn't know me. He doesn't know what's going on inside of me. He doesn't know anything about me. Uh, but how can somebody say that? You know, and I I just saw my brother, and I saw what we had to go through to get him in college. And, you know, and again, my brother was the one who ended up in the military, right? So it shows how much he knew. Exactly. And, and uh, um, you know, but I, it, it gave me energy. But it also, if you read on... I had a friend of mine who I'd grown up with since elementary school who, who when we were DJing, he told me, don't touch that. You can't, uh, y- you don't know, you don't know anything about that technical shit. That was just- oh yeah. He was next too. We're going to get to him Right, too, right, <laughs> right. And so I was more pissed at him and probably, you know, see this is the part man. You, you're, you're waking up ghosts, uh, <laughs> this is the part where there's a part of my career where silently inside of myself, whenever I accomplish something, you get even with people. Okay. One of the things we used to go through when I was younger, we used to go watch concerts. We used to go watch that time. We would go watch Larry Green, one in a million. So that was a big thing. And the guy who said that to me played bass, he always had a bass over his house, he was playing bass. Hmm. So what do you think about years later when I would not only work with Larry, but I would help design one of these bases that he has his microphone in it, right? You did that? Yeah. Wow. so, So for me, when I was working on that, Larry had no idea why I was frantically working at it. It was just something he asked me to do. And we were out on the road and I was, you know, we were trying to figure out how to make the guitar and, and the microphone wireless all at once. Right. And. I was doing it to shut that guy's mouth from high school. Because <laughs> wow. this was one of our favorite people to go watch. And now this was not only my friend, but somebody who was relying on me to do what to do electronics, that shit that I didn't understand. Thing.
0: Mm.
3: Right, so you gotta be careful what you say to people because what you say to words can kill. Yeah. Words, words are very powerful. You know, words can also light a match and, and you know make somebody like me just you know do what do what I do. You know, but uh, I, I think if I go back and, and it's funny you ask that because when I go back and, and uh, I encourage everybody if you're ever going through anything in your life, y'all you need to go to therapy and understand how you think, why you think the mm-hmm. way you think. I understand a lot about how I think because I've actually gone and talked to people and found out that a lot of my motivation through much of my career has been from negative reinforcement
1: interesting you that know and racism a, a lot of us right? get that stuff from our families too you know there's a, a, you ain't shit uh, you ain't gonna, you ain't gonna be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: no, no, I mean it sounds funny I, but I'm serious I never got that I, okay. yeah, yeah I never got that I did get the you have to yeah. understand though Um, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm 55. My parents were survivors of the depression. Mm -hmm. So for for black professionals, my mom was a nurse, my dad was an accountant. For black professionals to survive that growing up, they had to have a certain mentality. And then the ones that came west, because they were from New York, they came west. West was where all the opportunity was. So when they landed in California, everything here was new and young and exciting and, and, and the racism, while it was probably still here, was less than what they had experienced back there. So they really were in a place where they were working consistently and working on their families. So they weren't on edge nor were they the type to say uh, you ain't shit or anything like that. What they were was people who played very safe. Okay, mm, okay. They very played very safe. They always wanted to see Professional careers. Our whole family was like that. Professional careers and things, so that uh, you 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 had that paper, you had that you know, and all these these, these signs of right. you was going to be okay. You know, go down there and um, work for Mister Johnson. He got a job down <laughs> there for you. Yeah, get that gold watch. You know, mm. now I, I wasn't a gold watch guy. I wasn't a gold watch guy. I, I was just an independent thinker and. Uh, you know, I'm glad in my lifetime, my mom, before she passed, had a chance to to kind of see and say, "Hey, you know what? Your dad would have been proud, and you you did exactly what you're supposed to do." You know, but I always felt like I was going to work for myself. Even when I was little, I just I just felt like I was supposed to to, to work for myself. I, ne- I never I loved working. Don't get me wrong, I loved working for Overheim. That was the best years of my life, and and I could not have done it. Uh, half of the things that I did without that application of electronics showing me how to use, use what I learned the basics of in trade school, what I learned the basics of in trade school when I, I went to Overheim I learned it just for music and so that that really opened the door that one job and uh, I did also work at Hughes and I worked at IBM so I mean I, I know the structured electronic lifestyle too. So uh, how did, you know, but it, it was one of those things, man. You
1: know, how does that? So everything you just it, said and the lessons you you learned from that, how does that? Well, what? How did that translate over to your kids and sort of opportunities that uh, are or for them? Well, what sort of messages did you give them?
3: I guess I guess it it inspired them to know more about what was going on. My son. So we ended up going to Crafts, which is a Conservatory of Recording Arts in Phoenix. And my daughter ended up leaving high school early and going to uh, uh, Pierce College. And then uh, she spent seven years at Blue Electronics as a a technician there and then eventually an engineer. Oh, wow. Designing microphones. So, so, uh, you know, I, I think it was very entertainment and the exposure to it was very, very influential in their life. Because it gave them an option on something to do that was fun. I think my time spent with my Oberheim family gave them an understanding of community because we would all have fun and play paintball after work. We would do things, go fishing. We would do things after work that promoted just friend friendship. you know. And oddly enough, the best technicians in my life, who from Oberheim, one now lives in Seattle, but both guys were from Minnesota. Okay. Both guys are from Minnesota. A guy named a Guy named Pete Munson who lives up in Seattle. Hey Pete, if you're listening. To this, and a guy named Tom Dunn. They're both from Minnesota.
1: Okay. What? what uh, and I yeah. I won't make, we can and we can keep going. I just want to be respectful of your time.
3: Uh-huh. I, I I'm I'm cool. I I said 2 3 hours. So. Okay,
1: thank you. Um yeah. so I I saw you know I did I did my Googles a little bit on you and I and I saw that you have <laughs> you have these uh you do have some Q and A, uh, and you hold court and and just, uh, panel discussions on YouTube and different things. Um, with some different engineers. <laughs> Q and A and hold court. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just
3: okay.
1: But uh, but I see you use a I lot. Feel, of-
3: I feel a, I feel a, a Michael Dean question coming on. <laughs> a Michael Dean question. What's that? Yeah, man.
1: <laughs> Amen. Go ahead. No, but what I wanted to ask you though is, um, in terms of the engineering. And studio work. It's a yeah, obviously you already know these things. This is a different world as it was back in the day in terms of you know the studios nowadays and the home systems and different things of that nature. So I was gonna ask you, with that said, and also where music is today, uh it's very disposable sort of turnover of of, of artists. And maybe there always was to some degree but even accelerated to this day, like what's the opportunities for an engineer going forward? Like what sort of you know you don't just going you're not going to go down to the studio are you to try and get work? Where do they? What does an engineer get work from today?
3: Well, you know I think the studio has changed in that large format studios if they've been able to survive, they still have their structure of how they hire and do what they do, but. The people who have the budget for to afford to go there are less and less. That being said, um, as an engineer, if you want to work, look to every place where sound is being used. You know, I always encourage people to, to go to their local church. If their church is big, if they got a megachurch they can go to, you can go there. And the sound sound staff is usually a paid position. Now,
1: okay? now you work Which for twelve you- four dollar, Dollar, right?
3: Yeah, I built Arrow Records.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. There's a studio there called Arrow Records, so I designed and built that with the people there now. In interesting. Interesting.
1: I'm sorry, go no, ahead. Yeah.
3: That's, a, that's an interesting situation because it's a large mega church. Um And, you know, those are situations where they have an audio department. And right. that's a bigger situation where they don't have an audio department, but they have what's called a music ministry, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So, in church churches, you need to understand that the ministry's job, each ministry's job is, is to generate dollars to support the church. It's not the church's job to collect money and support the ministries. Hmm. So that's what people kind of don't understand that that is really a support function of the greater for greater good of people coming every Sunday and hearing the word. You know, but whether it be a mega church or a little church, churches need sound too, small clubs need sound and institutions need sound you know if i would go back to my first experience in sound it would be in elementary school putting two microphones up for for uh what they call chapel on wednesday wow. right and and i could trace my my doing sound all the way back to there so you know this is like seventh eighth grade so uh you know i i come by it naturally and and uh I, I think that the, what's what's open to everybody nowadays is just where is it you want to be. Yes, gaming is there. Yes, mm-hmm. VR and some of the other terms that you hear are there. But those things that are being done in those areas are usually tech-associated. You have to look at the device or the, uh, the right. system that they're trying to work within. Mm-hmm. You have to understand a lot more about the different communities that are in action right now. I always say that the music Music used to have a car all its own and it would drive down the road. And now that we have video in place, video is in the car and music's tied up in the back of the trunk and it's never going to get its own car again because the visual image is so strong. You know, we're, we're not only working on the visual image, we're working on 3d. We're working on, you know, all these other things, virtual reality, we're working on, uh, you know, uh, uh holograms and all this stuff to and. And sound is the same place. We went from surround, and we've been dabbling surround in years, but now we're going to two channel, LANDR, and Some of these other things that are being experimented with are all relevant because they're trying to give you the most in a confined package, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to allow you to have uh, assault on the senses for all these things that are coming. You know, all it, all it also does is tell you how much they plan on. Uh, requiring or wanting the consumer to sit down or be still and consume whatever it is that they're putting out, right? So, when you're consuming, you're not doing That's the part about for for us as people who work in communication cuz we, we could say we're in entertainment, we could say we're in music and that'll put a fence up. If you say you're in entertainment, it puts a bigger fence up. Hmm. But if you say you're in Communication, now we're all under the same umbrella, right? So if we look at this as a communication thing, communication thing is used everywhere. There's messages being sent all the time, and we have to see what part is it that we can play as a communicator, as somebody who can either make that message clearly understood, edit that message, or do whatever our audio skill is to make sure that it has an effect on, on, on whatever the material is so that it's received in the, in the way it's intended interesting uh, i don 't mean to get i don't mean to get an answer like that, but i can't answer in the small no, without no. going big because the jobs are are going to be in the big areas they 're not going to be in the small areas. most people who arrive in our music space today mm-hmm. they arrive in uh, are wanting to be further along to somewhere else, so they won 't see a joy in in interning they won 't see a joy in. Mm-hmm. Taking a job where you don't have recognition, they want to be Chris Brown. They don't want to fucking work for Chris Brown. <laughs> they want to be Chris Brown. Right, you know, right?
1: <laughs> but and that's the interesting, <laughs> it, But it's like I I understand that dream from like shit ten years ago or something. But I'm like now, like, it seemed like I'm surprised that cats still want to be the guy in the front because the guy in the front is just I don't I mean. There's no music. I'm not gonna say there's no music stars, but it's just a different game now. It's like it's gonna be sh- so short lived, and I mean, there's probably only like two or three people that are actually you see that are doing something, but everybody else is just like in and out so quickly. I'm curious, do we still want to be the guy on the front? Like, this just not. I don't, it just seemed like it was so like
3: well. I, I would say that that's a valid thing, but I'm going to give you an answer that a young person gave me the other day. <laughs> what about what about Little Yachty?
1: Oh, hell no. Nah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Right? This
1: is, this is
3: exactly. <laughs> Big Sexy, that was my answer. Exactly.
1: <laughs> hell no. Nah, I mean, I guess, but...
3: No, no. Re- I only say that... That's to say that, look, we have to keep our mind open to how people are consuming and what they're consuming. We also have to look at how people utilize this industry and what the industry is saying yes to in the traditional model. When you look at some of the artists that i work with, some of the, the, the projects we worked on, it was during <clears throat> what we call the PO system or the all in budget days, or the days when you actually had an NR person going, looking at the talent alone right. or listening to the songs mm-hmm. Today, we have brand management experts who are all trying to marry corporate interests and corporate dollars to a song, musical, artist, or experience to get that money to fund it. Because the record company just wants to be involved in the return on the investment. right? Right. They don't, don't want to put out that money. So they're looking to corporate taxes to do that money. And, and they're looking primarily to people who have, are, are in the 360 deal mm-hmm. lane to do it with because they have given up the most to to get a shot they're not going to do a deal with somebody who's intelligent because they've, they've been paying attention to the messages that somebody like Prince has been saying about own your stuff do your this and be independent they're they're looking at people who say okay so and so signed a 360 he doesn't mind doing this and they don't mind doing this and he's going to be on his mixtape he's going to be on there and it's a lot easier for them to function like that so it is uh, for lack of a better purpose, some of this has turned into just a transitional exercise on, mm. on the way to another place, Right on the way to another place. Early on, many wanted to be Will Smith. Hmm. I'm going to start out here. I'm going to do this. I want to be LL Cool J. I want to be Will Smith. I want to get my episodic series. Man, I want to get on TV. I'm going to do my cop thing. And I'm, you know, They all had aspirations of guiding their career to the way these guys did to break out. Right out of it and be something else. Will they get to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I can't I don't know. I, I just know that it worked for them because that was in fact what they were supposed to do. Uh do we need do we have to have a whole room full of them? I don't think so. Do we need to see a room full of little Wayne sipping syrup? I don't know. I don't know that that has value long term. I don't I don't there there are some things that we can obviously look at it and say it gets promoted because it's to the diminishment of our culture. And anybody who funds it is about funding the diminishment of our culture, period. And, and, that, and that's, that's, that's true, too, that a lot of what we see funded is, in fact, something that has negative connotations about, about black life and has negative outcomes based in the black community and the industrial uh, industrial prison population. So we can mm. go all the way there if you want to, you know, I mean, we can dive off that board if you want to. But the <laughs> bottom line is that, is that uh, everything that happens is strategic. This is all headed under communication. And there is a reason why we see the things happening that we see, the pressure and release in culture that we see, you know, we're looking at a time right now that I thought I would never see in my lifetime. Uh, And, you know, my my mom lived long enough to see the first African-American president, but then she's not here to see Donald Trump become president. Not that that is a big thing, but when you see the anarchy that ensues right now, where you have congressmen who are playing baseball and people who don't agree with them are coming after them using street justice, when they... When the decisions they make kind of promote the 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 hey. the negative conditions that prevail in in people of you know from from poverty, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch. It's interesting to watch Ooh, because it, it, it's a social a social. We decline, We, we are definitely communication, inter- control it.
1: Yeah, we're definitely an interesting time. You know, as we we're recording this, and, you know, these shows will sort of live on for a long time, but to, to date what is going on, particularly just this day, you know, we've had the verdict come in uh, on the oh, cast. Oh,
3: yeah.
1: Well, well, I was going to say that, but we actually had the verdict yesterday uh, where the police officer was acquitted and the Philando... Castile case right another uh, Black man that happened yep. in Minnesota right uh, Guy mm-hmm. got away with that I guess and then of course you have Mr. Cosby uh, Mistrial uh, In his case right. uh, We also had you know just Contextually uh, the, the Tupac movie uh, Just came out this weekend um, There's a lot of different Things going on uh, Out here and different messages And stuff but um, I sort of lost my train of thought, but it was same, to say, to go back to what you were saying earlier, there is crazy stuff going on. Um, and then in terms of the culture, so the entertainment, what do we see? How is that playing into it? And I actually, I was I was having a conversation with Q Storm, another member of our uh, team here, one of the hosts of other shows. And we were talking about, um, we were talking about music and how it's marketed. And I think I was trying to say that uh, yes, there's imagery that is being sold out there and there's black people that are making this stuff. Like, you know, Little Yachty, and not to say Little Yachty's bad. I don't know much about him, to be clear. But when you have some of these rappers who are talking about some crazy stuff, or even, I hate to say, now you have R&B singers that be talking about some crazy stuff. Right. And that stuff is going out there. And I'm saying, yes, that's true. But I always felt like they are in the minority of the actual artists that... These labels could pull from you know I think it's a conceited effort that they would pull mm-hmm. to put these guys out as opposed to probably some of the other ones that are not being promoted or don't have the deals, but it 's not to say that all of us are making this ridiculous imagery and lyrics it's just that this is what they choose to promote um, mm-hmm. but there's a reason why they they use those guys and they don't you know there's a reason why they always put the fool in the front they don't want to put. You know the guy. Well, see that
3: that's a, a that's a that's a whole show within itself,
1: right? You know and
3: because because you know that's that's always a question that generationally many of us ask. You know we're looking at who's the next one to work with. Unfortunately, if all you're looking at is a room full of fools in front, but then you see when the fool shows up in rehearsal, how many people the fool fool has in his camp, it equals funded jobs, right? Because at the end of this, we're talking about jobs and and entertainment opportunities that feed families, right? Mm-hmm. So when I look at anything where somebody's going on the road, I look at them. Got a crew? They got a sound crew? They got a disc crew? They got that crew? Who they got? Who they got? What does it look like? Somebody has a TV show? Roll up on the TV show? See how many people there look like them? See you know? And 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 this is this is again one of those things where it's just natural for our people to look at this and take this information in. in when you assess what's going on, because you're trying to see, is there room for me? Am I even considered in this? If I, in fact, i in this business and I have a skill, you know, like when I roll up on something and somebody says, Hey, I think you need to come over here. We could use what you do. The first thing I do is roll up and see always, is there anybody I recognize that I might've worked with before?
0: Hmm.
3: And then if I don't see somebody and I, I say, okay, well nobody here, you know, it's be new. They all seem to know one okay let me me just see what's going on and then you'll you'll get the questions inevitably of of, of, well how are you here what are you here for you know and everybody just trying to socialize and feel out who's who or what what's going on yeah these are all assessment things you know and this town especially in los angeles it's it's uh you know we're a a production-based community man there's a lot of stuff going on out here so for every show you see There's a camera person and there's a bunch of other people on laptops and walkie talkies that you see that might not even look like the people they're shooting. Hmm. Maybe, you know, if I was to see what the crew look like from Love and Hip Hop, I might be shocked you know
1: what I'm saying hey man just call Mona Scott talking. we can get you on that man <laughs> no it's
3: not even, not even by, by calling on Mona Scott it's just, you know I use that as an example because I've seen I've been to the sets of reality shows and some of these other shows that are servicing and about the black community I have been to production houses with Afrocentric names <laughs> whose sole purpose it is is to write music for shows of color with not a colored person there Right. So understand that this shit is real. Culture vultures are a real thing, oh. and there's a whole there's a whole cottage industry of people designed around who think they can service our industry better than us because they don't have to be us. They just have to have the the right facade, right. and then they 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 already have the connection for the deal. So it's just a matter of you know doing what they do. Just, is that every situation? No. But there are a lot of situations like that, and you're like, wow, this is interesting. I never knew this existed. And that's the most you can say, because it's like, wow, this is another level that's so fucking raw that I've got to sit here and figure out, okay, this game has now advanced to the point of where they don't have a problem with
1: it. Yeah, they they become very savvy.
3: They don't have a problem. (laughs) that'd That'd be like me going up to the Alps Opening up a ski shop, right? And <laughs> yeah. and having and, and having you know having all kind of it, it, you know, but 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 you thinking if and I got all this stuff where I have got you know everybody looking like they just stepped off of the the, the next Nordic village, <laughs> but is my ski shop,
1: right? Shoot, you know what I'm saying? Nah, I mean, that's why I, I always like, joke. Man. I always joke that I'm gonna open it. I'm gonna, let me find out. How I can open me up a teriyaki joint. I ain't. I'm not gonna even put my face on it. I'm gonna just have all this stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I like that, that they never go out of business. I, I already know. But I know what you're saying, right?
3: Said. Yeah, I mean, but we, you know, we see we see cultural games played all the time, and I, you know, right. make light of it. But I'm just trying to show you that if that's how absurd it is. But we actually see this as a construct that's used because. You know, the entertainment game at the end of the day is, is paper and dollars, it's moving money, it's services, it's everything. So it's just at an amplified rate.
1: You I, know, I, I feel so, you on that. That's... If
3: entertainment stopped tomorrow, if, if entertainment stopped tomorrow, and everybody who did not have a full-fledged skill was required to go out and make a living doing what it is that they could actually do well, there'd be a lot of more unemployed people.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Because wow. this is the only field that lets you do some of the things you do at some of these levels and get amplified wages. Man, if touring stopped tomorrow, oh, boy. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, that would be it's a be in sh- trouble. shock to the game right there, because that's, that's a lot of people's money right that's there. Right,
3: that's right. <laughs> right, and that's why you can only – that's why people can't get too cocky about any of this, of what they do well, and I'm better than this one, and you can't get too cocky about any of it. Because tomorrow, like I say, that's why I don't get caught up in the mixing and, and all that. You know, people come, we had a whole cottage section of our industry that looks at engineering as only mixing. They don't look at it as anything else, it's just mixing with them. And that's unfortunate because if you've been. Given all this information about audio, it's such a big field that you can you can do a lot of contribute a lot of good in a lot of other places sonically. Um, hmm. But but we got the, the one trick pony, and everybody wants to ride it. And if you know, if tomorrow little Johnny gets a laptop for his birthday, and he's 13, by the time he hits 15, he's fully blown with every software bundle there is, and he's ready to do battle for your check, my check, and by three other people. Yeah. You know what, though? And Johnny's fearless because he don't have nothing. He don't have right. no, he got no, no bad <laughs> memories. He don't <laughs> nope. have... He lives in his mama's house. He don't have no bills. He's coming from a different place. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't even have bad music to reference. Right. He's just being little Johnny, you know.
1: That's what we up against. I, on one hand, I'm not mad at little Johnny because, hey, if the tools then open it up and if he got real work, which, you know, over time you would see... Then I right, let them do, let them do his thing. Let the marketplace dictate if his shit is proper. But I love the fact that the tools are open to anybody who really has some real like uh, dedication and, and and discipline to to learn it. Past just oh, I just made a beat, but to take it to the next level, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I just if if you know they can rise to the top. Hey, that just makes the the cast that's been in the game. Then you have to stay on. You have to be sharp. You 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 have to be on your your game, and it's always evolving. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it is what it is, but That's it. man, listen, I want to keep going. I do have another show to do, and, and I don't want to give my Prince people, they, they, this is enough. <laughs> we'll come back and do another one with Dave, because I know Dave has a yeah. lot of game, and I, sorry, I want to we're, talk we're about all, some I'm other sorry stuff.
3: sorry we're all over the place. You no, know.
1: nah, it's good. I, I want to get into some Raphael and some Herbie and stuff, but let's do that for the next time, yeah. so we can just really focus on 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 that because I think it's a conversation to have. Uh, Dave, man. Okay, I, big,
3: big, sexy. Was I was I <laughs> politically correct? Was I okay? Was I legal? No, nah, you were great, Dave. <laughs> okay, man. Yeah, I you are in the clear. <laughs> I'm in the clear. <laughs> I
1: don't okay. need no cease and desist letters. <laughs> Hey man, <laughs> uh, Dave, cool. but, uh, I so hey, appreciate hey, you, man, uh, giving us your time, man, because uh, time is valuable. No
3: problem. I, 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 I no problem. It. No problem. And, and next time, let me let me know. If next time if you want to do something, well, let's do it. I know Scotty and I had talked, batted around the idea about doing something together. So I yeah. thought we can do that too. I, I love doing stuff with him because we trigger we trigger memories within each other, and, right. it, and it really helps. You know, part of the thing that helps us, honestly, Michael. At this time in our lives, is that you know grief comes to us in stages. Mm. So every time that we get to talk about him or the situation, it helps us grieve in another way where we can help somebody because our our remembrances are true of a totally different things. And we don't wanna we don't want to do anything but make sure people can learn from it and and just make sure they get the best of what, what there is to talk about about him. Yes, sir. Yes,
1: sir. Where can people find you online? And, and, and if you can, sh- uh, give us the name of your books, too, because I know people are going to want to check those out.
3: Okay. Um, my books are called The Business of Audio Engineering, and they're on Hal Leonard. I'm currently working on the third edition on that one. And um, my first book was called So you Know Not in the Engineer, Here's the other stuff you need to know. Uh, that's on paperback. You can find that probably on the Internet. Um, you can see me you can get me on facebook or i do a show on dash radio called evolution of the groove with vince wilburn jr from the miles davis family nice. and uh you can get us at evolutionofthegroove.com com. would love to have you guys on the show if you'd like yeah we just want to be a connecting point man really yeah. just be a connecting point so that uh, we can have this discussion and have like a fireside chat the way that people used to do in villages way back to past lessons along they would sit around the fire Mm
0: -hmm. and
3: and tell stories and so that's kind of what we like to do is be able to pass the word along but yeah man anything we can do to keep it up and like like the work you guys are doing
1: all right man likewise i appreciate it uh shout to big sexy thank you sir i'm gonna go a little fast here um shout out to all our listeners we so appreciate you guys sticking with us um when this show goes up we will have our new donation link and situation set up so uh, i know i told y'all to pause on that now we can kick back in and we're gonna get that thing rolling because we're gonna take this thing to the next level we need you guys help to do that um listen we are here because we love some prints and what it means to us we love the music We love the man, the work ethic, everything about it. We're going to continue to hold that up and respect it. With that said, let's work it like a job. I will see you next time. Peace.